You read the Bible, Grant. Yes. Well, there's this passage I got memorized. Sort of fits this occasion. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Do you expect me to talk? Welcome to episode 102 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your Facebook cat, and as always, I'm joined by stylish dudes Chris and Dave. How are you doing? Good evening, folks. Good evening. Yes, I'm uh, currently looking up the metric system, whatever the fuck that is. Deciding <laughs> so whether or not to eat your way out with cheese. <laughs> yeah, yeah, possibly. Well, yeah, dipping my french fries in mayonnaise. <gasps> Which I think I all, want, all I the just... while. We're not going to be twice shoving up watches up our ass. <laughs> we'll try. We can't promise. <laughs> <laughs> but how can we tell time? We have to bend over. To... No, actually, no. <laughs> um... As if you haven't guessed, people, we are reviewing Pulp Fiction. Well, the thing is, if your pants are already down because you're going to bend down to see what time it is, just go outside. You can use your knob as like <laughs> use your knob as a sundial. Fuck it, dudes. If your pants are down and you need to know what time it is, go outside. Just not at night. You'll probably be arrested, and it wouldn't work anyway. Yeah, you, yeah, but you, you wouldn't be arrested in the, in the day, though, would you? Cops will come over and think, what are you doing? I'm uh, trying to tell the time. Oh, fair enough. I'm watering the plants. What does it look like? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that'll be much better. That, that'll, get, that'll get me off the charge. Some that won't get you arrested, what, will it? No. I'm outside trying to tell the time with my dick. Right? The police come over and you're like, shit, how do I get out of this? It's all right, officer, I'm having a wank. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Thanks. Would you like a contribution to the Forces Benevolent Fund? <laughs> Not that kind of contribution. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I've gummed up quite a few of those sort of tips. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Put coins in. Coins tend to bounce off in my local Tesco now. Okay, this was taking a turn for the unexpected. You're not controlling this, Becker. It's entirely your fault. You brought this on yourself. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll, um, we'll discuss that scene when we come to it. What the scene where I kept his much of his backside. All right, carry. Go on. It's a classic scene. I must admit. Oh. Yeah. 
Yes, anyway, we are discussing Pulp Fiction, starring John Travolta, Uma Thurman, Samuel L. Bullock Bogg and Jackson, Bruce Willis, Bing Rames, Tim Roth, Eric Stoltz, Christopher Walken, Rosanna Arquette, and many, many more. The story is by Roger Avery, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, and released in 1994. I feel old. I, I'm, I'm shocked That's and appalled. Thing. Becca just swore. I wouldn't worry. I've <gasps> <laughs> yeah, got a fun fact old. about that later she's on. She's allowed to. What are you, about you being old or about you swearing? Swearing. Oh. Yeah, Becky just said... Well, so it Sam, I, I, first, I first said bollocks at the Salisbury Market in 1993. <laughs> yeah, we're not surprised by that anymore, Dave. It just you know, it doesn't work. Right. Um, okay. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, okay, so how, how do we all come to Pulp Fiction? And what are our kind of... Um, how do we all come to see this film? What impact has it had upon us? Chris, you can go first. Okay, um... Well, Pulp Fiction was kind of like one of the, the the big films that was, shall we say, was floating around in my Twilight years of coming a movie fan. <laughs> Twilight years? I wonder, where, I wonder which bit of him it was floating around there. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was around the time. Wow, where, you, surely? Yeah, when I started reading Empire and that kind of that kind of time where it was already kind of like the modern day movie classic, in quotation marks, Um before it was cool. Yeah, so you had that that and Train Spotting, I guess, was kind of the the kind of cool cool films to to see, I, I guess. And I, and I heard like a few people like sort of talk talk about beforehand. Uh, so I first watched it when I was on BBC Two one night, uh, and my I remember my dad watched it when it was on because I videotaped it, obviously because it was probably a school night, and. Uh, <laughs> And he said, "Like, oh, it's like a bollocks that." I don't, don't this, is, this is this is a stirring story of daring do here. It was a school night. <laughs> it was a it was a school night. So I videotaped. Yeah, but he, he, he thought it was. Yeah, I, it was a bit uh, overrated. Didn't see what the big fuss was about. I watched it and I was just entertained by every minute of it. Uh, I generally was just taken with it. It was probably my one of my favorite. It probably was for a period of time. My favourite film um, for for a good part of maybe five, maybe six years, uh, just because I couldn't think of a better film that than Pulp Fiction. I just it was just so easily watchable, classic, um, really entertaining, all the rest of it. Uh, so yeah, I I kind of interesting viewing this time, but that's that's kind of what I thought. What, what what do you guys come to watch? You know, time to see your second film. Um, this Monday. is so rare. This is so rare for me because I've got a quite a well. I've got quite an unusual memory. I, I tend to remember all of these things, but I can't tell you when I first saw Pulp Fiction. I can tell you when I first saw Reservoir Dogs, and I hadn't seen Pulp Fiction at that point. I don't think <clears throat> I can. I can. I think I saw Reservoir Dogs in late 1994 theatrically. I think because it was still this video nasty. The only pause for doubt I've got for that is it could have been earlier in 94. So it could have been around Easter time, but it could have been more like November. I'm not sure which. If it was the latter, i.e. around sort of November time, then the chances are I will have sought Pulp Fiction out pretty soon thereafter because I've got a feeling it was released in the summer over here. But genuinely, and I know it's a bit of an anti-climax, I can't. I cannot tell you when I first saw it. I really can't. I've absolutely no idea. What I do know is that in the years that followed, I had videos, uh, VHSs, literally videos of this 
and Reservoir Dogs and from Dust Till Dawn and later from Jackie Brown. I had all of that by sort of 95, 96. So it was always a film I liked. I never liked it as much as Reservoir Dogs. That's no longer the case. I do think it's a superior film. But I've got a, a sort of almost more... Um, nostalgia and enthusiasm for Reservoir Dogs because I loved it first and I loved it more than I loved this film. The only real problem I've got as I watch through the film is that um, I don't, really don't like the gold watch thing. Chris and I were chatting about this a little bit off air before we came on. Um, I will talk about it more as we go through it, but I think I'm going to have to out myself as a bit of a Bruce Willis detractor, but I didn't even know I was. It's just, what's the problem here? Do you know, I don't think I like Bruce Willis very much. Um, but we'll come back to that. The film in general impresses me a great deal. And the more you watch it with a critical eye, the better it stands up, actually. The more you actually sit and go, my God, what a steady cam shot that is. Or, you know, my God, what a really intricate bit of dialogue that, that is there. The better the film sort of comes off <laughs> at, at, in the end. But uh, very, very fond of it. But yeah, I can't tell you when I first saw it. What about you, Becca? Um, yeah, it's a bit of an odd one for me. Well, again, my AS Film Studies has a lot to answer for in terms of Tarantino. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're sort of having a chat about this and now we have. And I was saying that's actually one of my least watched Tarantinos. Um, I don't know why. Um, technically, it's brilliant. Dialogue's fantastic. Um, performance is legendary. Um, and we still don't know what's in that suitcase. Um, no, but I don't think they moments. know either if it helps. I, I, I know it's in a suitcase. Light bulb. Light bulb, yeah, that's it, a light bulb. <laughs> it's, it's not his soul. A light bulb and a battery. Elvis suit. <laughs> An Elvis suit, no, that one before. Radioactive yeah. banana? No. <laughs> um, there's, as, as, you, you know, as you say, Dave, it is technically brilliant. Um, it's not until you, you know, start to unpick it um, and say, oh, look at that shot, listen to that dialogue, or, you know, view that performance um many you know many moments of which were kind of done you know kind of just on, on the spot um or improvised um yeah for some reason i don't know why i haven't seen this as many times as i have some of the other films um i think probably just till dawn and it's not like directed by it, but that is i'm not a big fan of that film unfortunately so that's like my least watched um i wish we were covering it just to sort of learn why really but um but I, yeah i, I appreciate that you're not, not a big fan of like I don't know. I just vampires and things. I I, I struggle like with, with Grindhouse, for example. Um, Death Proof, I I was fine with. Um, I'm not a fan of like whole, obviously like Nosferatu, um, Interview the Vampire, of course. The kind of vampire movies, I'm just a little bit like, mm, not not really. Fair enough. But not really enamoured to generally. I, I don't know why. It's a very popular genre. I I, um, I watched Dust Till Dawn probably before Pulp Fiction, funnily enough. Uh, mm. and, and I had a heck of a viewing experience with it. It was it was one of those uh, things where I was really entertained for all of it, but the the last half I was generally kind of like nervous and terrified, but couldn't stop watching. It was just so it was so intense but so enjoyable at the same time. It was one of those things where I was like, oh, I think my legs were like physically shaking throughout, but I was just kind of like still engrossed, wanting some more. We're getting the, we're getting a review from from Dustin Dawn in this series, whether you fucking want to. <laughs> I think I will have to do it as a special. I think I, I do need. To, I would love to have that kind of reaction to it, but I just oh, I maybe, gel, maybe a commentary. I don't know, maybe. Maybe maybe I will. Um, yeah, for some reason I'm just not enamoured with it. I don't know why. I'm just not a big fan of the genre, but hey ho, I'll try again someday and maybe I will love it. Um, but yeah, back to pop fiction again. Um, just for some reason, it's just never been a great big, you know, I've never kind of watched it as many times as I have the others. Um, 
and you know rectified that today by watching it a few more times so that's pretty good um but yeah i mean there's so many classic moments dialogue is always quotable um really memorable characters i think for me in all honesty the high point of the series will probably be kill bill which is just like my absolute i love it um just because the music and everything all the homage homage to asian cinema um will be a, a big plus for me um but i'm looking forward to getting stuck into this film yeah, I had, a, I, I had a funny experience watching this because I always viewed this... Alan's funny stories. <laughs> We're talking about that off air as well. Yeah. Every time anyone says funny experience or funny stories now, that's all I can fucking hear. <laughs> Alan's funny stories. This is funny stories. <laughs> yeah, I'll just, Sorry, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just introduce my uh, camp psychic, Camp David. <laughs> oh, oh, hello, Camp David. Oh. <laughs> what, did you have, what did you have for lunch? Oh, mints. Uh, <laughs> Go on, what was your funny experience? <laughs> no, I, I think I built this up too much now. Uh, no, well, but, well basically, because I. Back to me, minus the power pack! Oh, I've, God. I've always viewed this film as probably his best, and I, I kind of. While I really enjoyed it, and I couldn't, again, as I always have, like, the, the thing about this film, it's so easily watchable. It's just enjoyable. Like every scene, you just engrossed in with it. Some things I point, I thought, okay, I'm not sure about this, and I'm not sure about that. Uh, but there were, but I was generally like enjoyed everything. But I kind of thought, what does this all mean? Where's it all going? What's the point of this film? It's just kind of like a series of just like irrelevant, funny stories, and that yet this is kind of lauded as possibly one of the best film of the nineties. I'm like, something's a bit, something's a bit weird here. This is just a little bit kind of doesn't seem quite right. I don't know whether I'm now becoming a pretentious wanker or. <laughs> to be honest, or... you are the furthest of the three of us. From I know, a yeah. Wanker. But I just I, you know, I never that line. But you, but you know when like with when Tarantino because he's so lauded as like as essentially one of the best filmmakers around. You spent yeah. one of his most lauded films would be would would actually have some substance, and I struggled to find any substance in the film whatsoever. And that was, there well, that was... there's actually more last week because you, I I don't think Tarantino's the type of person. I don't get this feeling that he would characterize his films as being a, anything particularly. They are just about the situations he presents. But it's quite easy to watch Reservoir Dogs and see themes and ideas. It's much yeah. much harder with this film. Yeah, I mean, you can get kind of, you kind of like look at each story individually and say, okay, you look at the John Travolta and say, that's about loyalty. Or you can look at the Watch story and you can say, oh, well, that's maybe about like that's being attacked. That's about how they desperately need a sun dial. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> but, you know, maybe, maybe it's like, maybe it's about attachments from your past or something like that, like, like that. But it's, and I, I, I don't know what the fuck the Bonnie situation is about. You know, it's like, oh, you know, that one time where we like, accidentally killed someone and we had to, you know. It, it, it's just, yeah, it's just a lot of really irrelevant stories. And it just it's funny how it's it's lauded as this masterpiece, whereas... But it's the slightest masterpiece you'll ever see. Not yeah. in running time, but in... I mean, with, with me with this film, I, I look at it and I think, well... I can. It has. It has almost by definition to go fairly. Have to go. In my view, I mean, people can disagree, but it, 
it almost by definition has to go fairly high up the rankings because it's it is his most lauded film, but it's also his, it's one of his most iconic, probably his most iconic. Quotable I as mean, well. I think it's probably... we have got we've got a film about three quarters of the way through this series that is my favourite. You can probably guess which it is if you ever heard me talk on Tarantino before, but I'll hold back on saying what it is. But my favourite film has hardly any iconic moments in it. This film is stuffed with them, images and ideas, not ideas, but certainly um, sequences where you just go, that just looks amazing. That's a master filmmaker. Um, But I've never found much to connect onto. I always used to say that the film was only really alive when Samuel L. Jackson was on screen. I take that back to a degree because... um, the um, John Travolta, Uma Thurman stuff is pretty electrifying, actually. And so I really enjoy John Travolta in this film. As Uma have, Thurman. As have many men, Dave. Yeah, sorry. We were just talk- <laughs> Before we started recording, Chris and I were chatting and we were riffing on this and we kept coming out with stuff where we'd go, shit, because I, I never pre-prepare like lines or jokes because you can tell when you deliver them, they, they're not spontaneous. Um, and the trouble is, because I said them before we hit record, I can't fucking say them again. So anyway, never mind. Um, but yeah, um, John Travolta's really, really good in this. Uma Thurman, I've, I've always had mixed feelings about. But there's actually a slight subtlety to her performance tonight, I've noticed, that we'll talk about when we get there. I'm not quite sure of her as a deliverer of Tarantino's dialogue, bizarrely. But we'll come to it. But um, my biggest problem with this film, frankly, is the Bruce Willis section. Because the the Christopher Walken stuff is fantastic, and then the rest of it not so much. But Walken's the rest brilliant of it, in whatever he does, electrifying Christopher Walken. Well, he's he's put, well, when you think that up his ass as an almost aside could almost be written for Christopher Walken's cadence. Well, exactly. It's just like you could yep. not have cast Stop. that role in your. I, 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 I my um, when I ever do impression, I go to. Uh, saying when I do impression of Christopher Walken is, and he uh, kept it. I was ass! You know, that's always my yeah, truth. Rather than the dark whisper of like, you know, it, it, it's always that, that kind of like really, get, really go high pitched for a brief moment. Every time he says up his ass as well, he says yeah. it with a slightly different inflection. It's up his ass. It's, it's really great. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, it's I don't love it as much as I want to love it, but I recognise it as, as possibly the first line of Quentin Tarantino's obituary. When the time comes, this is what he will be remembered for, I think. Yeah, Rather so... than Max Owen. <laughs> but Tarantino did play Max Owen. <laughs> no, but No, sorry, we're talking about Tarantino. We do I know, have... I know, I'm just being joking. Yeah. Oh, can, is... you, you can just I... imagine, like, Christopher Walken, like, gravestone saying, like, here lies Christopher Walken with a watch up his ass. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Long pause though, it'd be an extra tall. In in his ass in capitals. Yeah, with a watch and the gap to up his ass would be so big. You'd need two headstones. One for the watch and one for where it goes. Yep, that's the one. Well, um, well, what he did realise, it was actually a grandfather <laughs> Shout out before we get into it. I mean, Becca keeps referring to the, the Kill Bill Volume 1 um, soundtrack, and, I, and I'm with her on that, actually. What what his sort of career post-2003 um, proved, to me, in terms of his music choices, was that he had a much, much wider appreciation than I realised. Because Pop Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown, they've all got soundtracks that come from the same basic place. 
but this was a step forward again. It, you can, I've, I've been in my car. This is the other thing about doing the Tarantino series. It, it, it's living with me outside of, of strictly prepping the podcast because I've been driving around in my car. I've been driving to work with the Pulp Fiction soundtrack on this week. Um, dipping into Kill Bill and some other stuff as well. But a shout out to that. that um, I, I'm sure we'll mention it as we go through, but the music choices, much more than Reservoir Dogs, are just perfect at every point. You just go, oh, that just suits that so nicely. Yeah, he pretty much makes hits as well, doesn't he? Because like the the dance scene with uh, Travolta and uh, Herman. Yeah. He, uh, I forget the name of the artist, but that wasn't even a pop- teenage a, wedding. But I don't know what the artist was called. Yeah, You're but right. but the you know the artist itself that wasn't a song he was known for. No. You know, it's, no. but but now it, it has it's become synonymous now. Cantina has put it in his film. It's always- even little things though, even little things like the. And I didn't know this for years. I, I don't think I'd thought about it. It's not that I thought the opposite. It's that I'd not thought about it at all. Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. Mm. Neil Diamond most song. Fam- it's a Neil Diamond song. Yeah. And when you listen to the Neil Diamond song, it ain't like Red Red Wine or anything where you go, it's not shit. It's Neil Diamond the pop- song, is it? The popular- well, no, but what I mean is like, when you think of Red Red Wine, people think of UB40, where, where Neil Diamond wrote it. But when you listen to his version, you're like, oh, God. Right. When you listen to Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon, it's really similar to the version used in this film anyway. I was really surprised he didn't use it. But the version in the film is Urge Overkill. Yeah. Yeah, it's always... Um, And it's similar. It is similar to Diamond's original version. So that's my excuse for playing Neil Diamond in my car this week. (laughs) (laughs) He was cool once. Sweet Caroline. Yeah. Soon as another car comes by, quickly over the pop fiction soundtrack. Yeah, pick on Radio One. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Classical FM. <laughs> Down with the kids. Your sense of saying kids today. <laughs> anyway, shall we, shall we discuss this film non sequentially? Yeah, it's got a beginning, middle, and an end, but not in that order. There are three basic stories in this film. Um, the three basic stories are the Bonnie situation, uh, the gold watch, and uh, hang on, let me get them in the right order. Chronologically, they take place in the order of the Bonnie situation, Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife, and the gold watch. That's the order. The order we get them in is a little bit of the Bonnie situation, just to start us off. Then we get uh, Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace. Wallace's wife, then we get the gold watch, then we get the rest of the Bonnie situation. So we finish the film with characters alive who actually died at some points in this film. Um, but we'll get to all of that. So we're going to run through the film as it's presented to us, I think. Yes. So we start off and it's Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer in the, the cafe scene, which is which feels like, obviously, when, uh, I imagine when you first watch it, you think, where the fuck are this, where's, where's this going? Like, who... Who are these two? Where are they going to turn up in the film? Because they spend the entire like film not being in it until the very end. Until you're actually in the diner. It's like, oh shit, there they are. Do you know what my first thought was? What? I know I saw Reservoir Dogs first because my first thought was, thank fuck he's doing his own accent. Because <laughs> <laughs> Tim Roth's American accent in Reservoir Dogs, like, I don't know what he did in Light to Me and some of the other films he's been in, I don't know. Um, but in Reservoir Dogs, I thought his American accent was useless. But of course, he's back to being himself here, and he's got this real impish presence, and it, uh, it, it's perfect for a guy who's like, "Why not? Go on, let's yeah. just rob this place." Why not? I love that. 
it, it is it the, the conversation just flows and you can really do see the logic in like well why why not why not rob diners <laughs> you know so why are we easier. robbing banks when they're really well protected you come in here it's not even that it's in... liquor stores where it's like it's they're becoming it's becoming really aggressive it's like it's become really more difficult and it's like oh it's just getting because they're owned by the families as yeah. well, so they don't want to give their stuff up. He's saying you've got busboys in here paying like $1.50 an hour and, th- and things like that, which sounds an exaggeration for any era. But what he's saying is people who aren't being paid shit aren't going to protect this place at all. Yeah, and because it's all insured as well, they're not going to care. They're just going to go, yeah, yeah, you go. Yeah. Um, One of the things that came out in the special features, because at the very end of this scene, Amanda Plummer lurches forward with her gun and waves it around. And they said they deliberately found like the biggest handgun they could for Amanda Plummer just for the visual. And they were right to because it really works. There's something yeah, about Amanda Plummer holding it. it. Yeah. But yeah, the gist is they want to just rob this place on a whim. They hadn't <laughs> thought about it before they'd gone in. He might have. It might have been in his head. Possibly, yeah. But it, it does run that way. I mean, what, one, of the, one of the things I did think was like, is this Tarantino slightly showing off with the Garcon means boy comment? <laughs> in, yeah. in, in a way, it's sort of like say, look how intellectual I am. Like, I, I, I know, I, I, I know a bit of French. It's like that's okay. what won it the Palm Door. <laughs> look at that Garcon. <laughs> what I love, do you know what I really love about that though? Um, and I don't know if it was directed or whether the actor just did it, but did you see um, Tim Roth smirk after that said to him? Mm. He's like, <laughs> look at that. <laughs> it's yeah. great. So they're they're, they're pumpkin and honey bunny. Yeah. Well, that's what they. Course. That's what, that's what pe- they call that's each, other. For each other. She calls him pumpkin. He calls her honey buddy, and mm. that's how they refer to each other all the way through the scene. That's their names. Yeah, that's so. That's their names. So she gets up and says, "Any of you fucking pricks move, and I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you." And the camera stops a few frames before yeah. her voice, which is just a little stylistic touch, and that's all it is. There's nothing to be read into it except it's really cool. I. I always thought that well, it that, that, would... That's how this film can be described as cool. It is just cool all over. I've always thought that. It just feels like a natural thing because it goes cut straight to the... Uh, it's the, Yeah, the, 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 the titles, really. So it would feel like a little bit if it cut in, it cut in mid-motion that they had to freeze frame just it slightly beforehand. Um, mm. That it would it would just feel natural and feel... Right, so but it's just—it's just this music choice. It's mm. something Tarantino heard somewhere. Ended up writing a letter to like the artist who wrote it and just said, "I think you're a genius." But it's the sort of thing that if we were trying to assemble a, a soundtrack for this, we could look all week. We could look for a month and never find this. Yeah, but it's what—it's what opens the soundtrack as well. You hear you you hear, don't hear the you don't hear the entire scene, but you hear like the, you hear the, the end of it, the, you, the you, last you bit. Hear, Everybody be cool. Yeah. This is a robbery. It goes. It goes from there. And if you thought, yeah, and then it goes straight. I've to... been listening to that all week. Not Neil Diamond, honest. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so then you have the the titles, uh, which is of course uh, is iconic. And it does the thing which changes like the radio. Well, it's the first yeah. time since the Superman credits where I wouldn't have given a shit if they were four times as long. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I wasn't that bothered about the film starting. I was like, this is fine. Just keep it's going a long like this. Scene. Yeah. It's a big cast. Um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing cast, yeah, actually, we when get, you think we about get it. Ch- we get the change of station and it cuts the jungle boogie afterwards, doesn't it? Yeah. You, you get surprised the fact that Bruce Willis is in it. Because I remember at the time, it's like, you think, oh, Samuel Jackson, John Travolta. Bruce Willis? He's in this? <laughs> well, yeah, he's the and Bruce Willis, isn't yeah. he? He's and. the last credit. He's the last acting credit. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. Chocolate yeah. Game. yeah. All these people. But he, he was. But Bruce Willis. He was a surprise yeah. at the time as well. He was uh, like, oh, I, I was surprised. I didn't know he was in this film as well. Um, I think they do. Yeah, it's kind of because he's so obviously known for like Die Hard and is more kind of like an action action man, as it were. Not the action man, but like typical within the action genre. It's just a, it's just a trademark down the front there. Uh, literally. Um, but yes, it's, you're not kind of. It's, I would say it's not your typical Bruce Willis film. No, I think that's fair to say. I, I've got. It, it's easy to look at Bruce Willis now. Perhaps we talk about it now, actually. Now, Chris's favourite film in the world, Die Hard. F- fully respect that. As much as I don't love it, as much as I want to love it, I, I get that. It. But the problem is we've got five Die Hard films now at the time of recording, soon to be six, which is a really Oof. stupid idea. Um, and beyond the first sort of film in a bit... I as well, from yeah. what I hear of it. No. Really? <clears throat> yeah. The, you do? The, 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 the new idea is terrible. But anyway... Um, and it completely defocuses the importance of Nakatomi Plaza to the guy's career in... But anyway, um, he did... At the start, he's all right during Die Hard. And at the start of Die Hard 2, he's all right as well. But through the rest of those films, John McClane is an utter pisspot. I don't like the guy at all. Even though I quite like Die Hard 3, he's a fucking asshole in it. Um, and all Bruce Willis' performances in recent years, to me, have just looked so lazy. I've seen him on things like Inside the Actor's Studio saying that he's been experimenting with doing less, which to me just seems like... Can't be asked. Actually, can't be asked. In this case, in the case of this particular actor, because there's plenty of actors out there over the years, like Steve McQueen, who thrived on doing relatively little... Um, so, and I, I, the Bruce Willis I love was actually the light comedic one. Bruce Willis in, in Moonlighting, which was the 1980 sitcom he did with Sybil Shepherd, was really, really funny. And all the times he's done comedy in his career, whether the comedies have been good or bad, he's been like really, really charming in them. Bruce Willis in this film is sort of sat on the cusp. I don't quite know what to make of it because when I look at him, all I can see is lazy, late era can't be asked Bruce Willis and there's no doubt he's got a frown on his face most of the way through this but having said that when the camera's focused on him we'll come back to the actual stuff and the, the actual his story in a minute but when the camera is focused on him I can see a flicker of something but yeah I think that's the problem I, I this isn't this isn't a typical Bruce Willis film and I don't like Bruce Willis as much as most people do yeah I know he's he seems to suit comedy better uh, I, I I agree with you. I mean, I, I think we were, we were talking about this before off there, and he, he's one of those pe- he's one of those people who's probably due a, a comedy you know, revival. I think. I mean, it, right now he's he's got the Death Wish remake that's due to be coming out soon. And... That's going to be terrible. That. Oh I think my we God. can say that with confidence. Yeah, I mean, look, as as a guy who really loves his action revenge slash movies, oh, I mean, go and see it. I'll, I'll I'll watch it and I'll probably be entertained by it, but it'll mean absolutely fuck all. Like it would like compared to the original Death Wish, it just complete completely just misses the point whatsoever, and it's not going to revive his career one bit. It, you know, he needs to do something different, and he just seems very tired, yeah. and he acts like arseholes during yeah. interviews, and it just. You just, you just. I watch the guy sometimes, and I think, well, most of us have to work for a living, and we have, we end up in what we end up in. If we're lucky, we kind of quite like it. I'm, I can't. I'm very suited to what I do, but um, when you look at people who are multi-millionaires being assholes in interviews and that, I just feel like get a fucking job you like, you wanker. Yeah. Or so, you ju- know, or, or just like, or just quit. Or go, just, go and spend your money. Yeah, or just go, you know, 
quit or retire for five years, take five years off. Come back when you, you see a script you really fancy. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's just, I don't know how he's long ago. He's reached that point in his career now, hasn't he? But... He's relatively recently married. And by that, I mean, any time in the last five years, I can't remember when. But he married again to a much younger woman. And he's got like a family. And you think, go and enjoy that. If you don't like doing this, this is on the cusp as a performance. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Sometimes I'll watch this and enjoy it. Sometimes I don't. It's my least favourite part of the film, though, the Bruce Willis stuff. Yeah, the, well, I suppose we'll get to it more. I think there was more... Uh, there was, For me, there was just more about parts of the story and parts of how characters are that just that just rub, rub you off the wrong way. It just feels a little bit... Why I can't say the same. I think out of, all, out of all stories, this is kind of... It feels, for me, the most underdeveloped, if I can say that, about a Tarantino movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I still enjoy it, though, but I would have to say, obviously, the stuff with John Travolta or... Um, Christopher Walken. <laughs> but it's weird if you, if you ask Other me stories. The, if you ask me which my favourite part five like five years ago or a few years ago, I probably would have said this. The watch bit with Bruce Willis probably was, which is kind of weird. Well, the restaurant that one... scene. I don't know. I'm gonna have to be a bit of a populist and yeah, possibly. I mean, like... it, it, it's so difficult because there are so many good set pieces. It's just like oh, where do I? What do I choose? Yeah, but yeah. my but my mind's changed now. It just seems like oh, this is kind of there's parts of the, the watch. Well, I mean, the, <clears throat> the point just that's the point about writing is. Um... The, the the gold watch story was written with Roger Avery, and he and he paid some money to Roger Avery to actually like take his name off it. There's still a story by credit there, but Quentin Tarantino has the sole screenwriter credit now. Where actually the gold watch isn't purely him; it's predominantly him, but it's not purely him. So it's no surprise to me that it's the bit I, that stands out, as, and I don't like it as much. Roger Avery, I think I'm trying to think what he's best known for: Killing Zoe. Yes. Yeah, probably. With with Julie Delphi, who I've had mm. a thing for since I was about like fifteen. That's I love old Julie film. Delphi. Yeah, well, probably since Killing Zoe. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, star of the wonderful and American Werewolf in Paris. I need to see that. I've seen that in a long, long time. Oh dear. What, what American Werewolf in Paris? No, you don't. Uh, it's not good. <laughs> it's really not good. Um, but the no, Before, tri- the before Trilogy is lovely. I like the Before Trilogy. Mm, definitely. Um, but yeah, um, so we start with obviously we come out of the credits and we cut to Jules and uh, Jules, which is Samuel L. Jackson's character, uh, Jules Winfield and Vincent Vega, brother of Vic Vega, uh, who's John Travolta. And they're driving to an early sort of appointment in their black reservoir dog style suits. And they're chatting about Vincent's time in Hampstead. Amsterdam. Yeah, and um, it's kind of interesting because it wasn't it Samuel Jackson who chose having the the cherry girl. The cherry girl. No, that was an error. Um, yeah. so, uh, Tarantino or in aid, I think it was literally Tarantino because this isn't a massive budget film. It's higher than um, Reservoir Dogs. I think it's more along the six million lines. But I believe it was Tarantino directly who sent one of his aides to the store to get an afro. Yeah, and she came back with a jerry curl by mistake. Oh, so it was an error. But I don't think it's. Ter- I think it's ha- turned out to be a happy enough error. Having said that, if Samuel L. Jackson had been in this film all the way through with an afro, I don't think it would have been any less iconic. No, I've, uh, but I remember like Samuel Jackson talking about it and saying that it it kind of made more sense because it was that that time of you know of uh, Easy E and N.W.A. and it was like the Jerry Curl sort of style. It would have made more sense, you know, for black gangster dude to be rocking the Joe Curl look rather than the, the throwback set throw seventies look. Um yeah. which is yeah, which is kind of like an interesting This film point. has a this film does have a timeless quality to it. It's barely dated. 
Mm. Uh, e- even the bits where it has, like, later on where they've got to put on some casual clothes and they've got really shitty dated 90s T-shirts on. Well, that's not necessarily inappropriate because a lot of us have got things like that in the back of cupboards or something as rags or whatever. It's a pretty timeless film. The dialogue's okay here. The dialogue's better than okay. The dialogue's terrific here. They're just talking about... Um, now, the problem is, when people co- copied Tarantino in the year that followed, they thought the salient point to this dialogue was, was that it was irrelevant. Mm. Was that, like, well, you're driving to work, you're not necessarily chatting about the job, you'll be chit-chatting about fucking TV or whatever. Mm. Well, that's true, but the number of films that followed this that would have really long set pieces of piss-poor dialogue about something completely unrelated <laughs> to the film. Uh, here it sounds very natural. I have to say I've heard it too many times. I'm quite happy to skip past all this Amsterdam stuff at the, the, the start. Once they, They're talking about um, um, how you can go in and get a glass of beer. They're talking about the weed laws over there. And they're talking about um, uh, how you can't get a quarter pound of a cheese because of the metric system. Yeah, and the, the Lubbock Mac and all that. Yeah, I mean, And Royale yeah. cheese, yeah. It, it, it's been quoted by probably every film student ever at some point. Like, they all try to redo the scene. To yeah, say. which... Which doesn't mm-hmm. help it any in some respects, but when they get on to after that, they get on to uh, the whole Mia Wallace thing, which is the first major story we get to. Um, Vincent has been asked, Mar- their boss is Marcellus Wallace, a big, big guy played by Ving Rames, uh, scary guy, and he's married to Uma Thurman's character, Mia. And Vincent has been asked, i.e., told to take her out and do whatever she wants for an evening. Um, and Jules is basically trying to warn him that getting too close to Mia is not a good idea. And they're talking about Mia's not a good idea, yeah. Um, and they're talking about how a, bit, a former business, uh, Antoine Rocamora, who was also known as Tony Rocky Horror, gave her a foot massage and Marcellus threw him out of a fourth floor window. Don't mess with him. <laughs> And yeah, I think this kind of like they all talk about what the uh, well, what possible reason was? Well, the rumor has it it was over a foot massage, and yeah. and, and, mm. and and Samuel Jackson going the line of like, well, come on, that that that's that's a bit you don't excessive. It's not like he, it's not like eating her out or anything. <laughs> it's, like, it's in the same ballpark. Ain't no fucking ballpark. Like, it ain't the same fucking league. not the same fucking league. It ain't the same fucking sport. Are we yeah. debating whether a foot massage is the same as Cunnilingus? I would never have expected to see in a mainstream film. Um, and then he, he said, Have you ever given a bitch a foot massage? And it's like, What is it? He says, I'm the fucking foot master. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> and then it's like, Have you ever given a dude a foot massage? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> see, if. The- yeah, there's some sort of joy of watching people just talk and especially debate things as well. That, that even though it's something that's completely silly and irrelevant, there's a kind of a joy. It's the same of, at the and diner then, later. The conversations between those two are brilliant. And there, there's certain because the way Travolta plays it, he plays it part stoner, part just very aloof. Or almost feels like he's a complete idiot. But when he just sort of like he just breaks it down for him and just says, well. Would you, would, you, would you give me a foot massage? He goes, fuck you. It's that kind of like little smile on his face. It's like, like is that, we all kind of relate to that joy. We're like, yeah, we've won this argument now, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, we've won the argument and we're not leaving it there for a few minutes. We're going to carry on and just rub it in for a little while. Um, I like that. It's really, really cool. Um, 
John Travolta was a, a, a recast, actually. John Travolta was, at the time of this film being made, Quentin Tarantino's all-time favourite actor. Big fan first, of Saturday yeah, Night Fever. First mm. choice for this role. Big fan it? of um, Grease, but he was also a big fan of... Um, Brian, uh, he was a big fan of Brian De Palma. Yeah. Brian De Palma was, like, his director in his teens, if you like, that he would... Oh, the new... Brian De Palma's out, and he referenced the film Blowout as well, which I reckon I, I'm always. I said this last week. I'm always a bit iffy about recommending films, and then people go and spend money on things. But if you've not seen Blowout, it's one of the the best Hitchcock films Hitchcock never made. Uh, very, Black Swan. very like I hate fucking Black Swan, <laughs> but um, it's very like the conversation as well. The the Francis Ford Coppola film from uh, the seventies. Both of those are really great. Blowout is all about sort of perceptions and, and what you think you're hearing versus what you're actually hearing. Um, great, great. And not, not to spoil it, but great ending. Great closing yeah. scene. Great end. And um, think Enemy of the State, but not shit in Tony Scott. <laughs> right? Or Tony Scott. A good filmmaker making it. Brian De Palma at his peak. So really good stuff. But that always put him in mind... He originally wrote this role for the Vic Vega character. It was going to be um, it was going to be Michael Madsen, uh, and then he met with uh, John Travolta, and apparently they sort of sat up most of the night, just like drinking and talking. I don't know if there were any massages involved. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then he rewrote it to put a bit more sort of almost humour in it uh, as well. Um, and he actually said to John Travolta at the end of this film, "I didn't realise I'd written a comedy." And I'm like, I think you were the last person to cue in because this film is funny as fuck. Yeah, I think there was this. This was like the. I think I mentioned it last week that Pulp Fiction was uh, a film which he didn't realise he was making. Like it came out different to how he intended. And I think part of that was, well, maybe the reason why he didn't realise he was making a comedy, which sounds really odd to me. But there, there, there's. How can you not know this is really I'd, funny? I, I don't know. I, I, that's that's the thing. I mean, I, it, there, there's there's a scene in it. Uh, later, we'll get to it later on. And I think it's probably it was a complete ad lib from Travolta, which hats off to him. It's part of him being in the character, but was when he like that line I shot Marv in the face. He's oh, <laughs> like delivered perfectly. <laughs> like he just but not only that, <laughs> completely um, superfluous as well because he's yeah. talking to Jules. You can see this guy's face. It's almost as like he's just spilt something on, the, on his on his lap. He's like, oh man, I just like. <laughs> <laughs> okay so they get into the apartment going back to the start of the film so we're set up for the Mia Wallace story which is coming a little later and they go in and it's somebody who's kind of ripped Marcellus off we think it's a group of fairly young lads aren't they they're all in yeah. their 20s I would say Yeah. the guy who shoots at them is actually Alexis Arqu- Arquette who died fairly recently um, well, yeah well, what's that? It, it, didn't he, look, he, uh, he looks a lot like Jerry Seinfeld in here though he does here, yeah. That could have easily been Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Have, thinking about it. Do you know, I've never thought of that before, but it yeah. really does. It really could have been. Um, but the guy who sat in the chair, who does most of the talking back to Jules, actually looks like, what's that guy from the John Hughes films in the 80s? The guy from Mannequin. Andrew McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy. It's into my brain. He looks like Andrew McCarthy. That always seems to be a thing in Tarantino films, like sort of completely bum just lying on the couch, like stoner completely lying. lying. I know. They're all eating breakfast. We've also got the start of the sort of um, 
Quentin Tarantino burst, if you like. Typical breakfast film. Um, later on, we'll see Bruce Willis smokes, so does Mia, smokes red, red apple cigarettes. We see adverts for them on billboards in Kill Bill as well. Uh, a big Kahuna burger. That's not a real yeah, burger chain. It's that, not that, a real brand. That's, that's a Tarantino brand. And they're all sat around eating burgers, and they've ripped off this case from Marcellus. We don't know if they had any intention of giving it back, but uh, Jules and Vincent have been sent there to sort them out, kill them, frankly. Mm. And they get the nice sort of like I done before about them like, not knowing how many people. It's just little sort of details that you sort of you think actually you don't normally think about stuff like that. Like they're like, well, how many people could be there? I don't know five. Shit, we should have shotguns for this. And then even then, kind of like, thinking even though we can take. Yeah, it's just a bunch of like wit, like whiny kids. They're still thinking like, "Fuck, we we need to do, need to be imitating as fuck." So we need the <laughs> we need to come in like looking like we know we know what we're doing. Yeah. So, uh, but it turns out there's only like well, there's three of them. One of them is their guy, so to speak. I'm not sure what the relationship is. Whether he's like the one who came clean, I don't know. But Marvin, no idea. We're never told. But Marvin yeah. is just their guy inside the camp. You've got the guy laying on the sofa stone who Jules shoots. There's that line from the trailer. I always thought this had a great trailer, and then I watched it again today, and it plays really cheesy now. But mm. the one bit is where there's a break in the music, and you just get him saying, oh, I'm sorry, did I break your concentration? That's still a great line. That's mm. great. Uh, yeah, it's and you've got Alexis Arquette hiding down in the kitchenette area. Yeah, we, we, we don't see that till later on, though. The we sink. don't see that till later, no, yeah. because we don't get that far here. We get as far as... Samuel L. Jackson on this. I, I, what gives me pause is, I keep thinking I must have seen this on video first, just logically. But then I remember how he commanded the big screen. So I must have seen this theatrically at some point. Mm. I've never seen screen presence like it in my entire life. It, even from Samuel L. Jackson, with the exception of next week. I think, he, I think he's utterly dominant in Jackie Brown as well. That's why he's but, so iconic. Yeah, this is the this is the the, the role he'll be remembered for. But he's exactly. just just as good in Jackie Brown, and there's more of him in it. But he just commands this screen, and you just like it seems so simple, but it's just not. He's just puts a complete intimidation job on sort of Brett or whatever he's called. Uh, like the whole. I mean, you get a bit of like replay of True Romance about like, does he look like a bitch? I think okay. Yeah. Don't, if you just recycle your own shit, um, but yeah, it's it's partly sort of yeah. But let's get rampant gets recycled across. Yeah, the again, you get it just becomes you know it, it just getting gross in it. There is almost like a spell that you just. I think it's part part dialogue, part of the performance of of uh, Samuel Jackson just like ramping it all up, and you just like <gasps> engrossed. Yeah. You just can't see. And, and, and when he stood over him, going. Say what again? Say fucking what again? It's just like <gasps> shit. It, 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 it is. It, it is really good. Do they speak English in what? Does he look like a bitch? What? <laughs> Incredible stuff. It really is. And then he, he goes into Ezekiel. Is it twenty five seventeen? Hmm. Got a look famous that up. scene. Um, it, it's it, like famous scene after famous scene after famous scene. Slightly rewritten by Tarantino. Just um, a little bit. But the yeah the. Uh, Path of the Righteous Man is Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, and again in, in lesser hands this could come out awful, couldn't it? Mm. Just 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 some sort of fucking gangster trying to sound cool. But well, it is, isn't it? Is that is basically what it is on the surface? Yes. And he says that later. I thought yeah. it was just some shit to say, um, but 
the delivery just transcends almost anything else in the rest of the film. Yeah. Well, it's like he's he's kind of like a preacher, isn't he? Because uh, that's uh, like sort of something that Travolta bounced off. It was the fact that he was like uh, dead straight, almost like like almost like a preacher, or you know, he knew where he was with Jackson's character that allowed him his performance because he was dead aloof with everything. He could kind of add little certain little things. He can go here and go there, you know, with, yeah. with like with little lines of little sort of things you don't really think of, like sort of like we talk about. Yeah, but bacon's good. Pork chops is good, you know, like not something you don't necessarily think. Oh, that's a bit. Yeah, it's a bit different. That's you didn't necessarily think that. You know, just allowed Trot to kind of play with that character a little bit because he's so aloof that how Jackson is so bombastic and straight with his performance. It's kind of cool, but yeah. And they need each other. The thing is, it, it, it as we go through the film, Tra- Travolta's a lot more vulnerable without Jules around. Well, yeah. here it is. Yeah, <laughs> he, you know, he needs Jules there to keep him straight and focused and everything like else. Man kind of slowly. Yeah, absolutely. So this section of the film just ends on them, like, shooting the room up, effectively. Um, and that's it. We cut away yeah, to... Cool. We'll do um, we cut to Bruce, don't we? We get, like, a quick scene with Bruce and... Yeah. Uh... Music check. We've got Let's Stay Together playing over this section. Yeah. Place from the movie. What a fucking song that is. That's going to play over... If YouTube allow it, it's playing over the trailer to this show. Maybe we can have like 10 seconds of it or something. Fair use policy. Yeah. Well, YouTube don't seem to understand fair use policy at all. No, but we can try. We will be using that. If not, I'll go with Dusty Springfield. But yeah, anyway. Um, That's playing over this, which again is not the intuitive choice because you've got a a big gnarly guy talking to a big gnarly guy and you've got quite a romantic song playing over it. Yeah, it's it's quite, quite interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, he kind of he's basically paying him off, isn't he? You know, it's the being paid to take a dive. Yeah, yeah. He's a boxer who um, best years are behind behind him. Okay. At this point, Bruce Willis would have been thirty eight, thirty nine, something along those lines, which is worrying because that's younger than me now. <laughs> but anyway, um, he was he's being paid off. Effectively, they're going to bet very heavily on him losing. So he's being paid to make sure that happens in the fifth round. It's a long monologue without us seeing um, Marcellus's face. Mm. We just mm-hmm. see the just see the back of his head occasionally, but for a large large part of this monologue, we don't even see that. It's just Bruce listening. And again, like Vic Rames is one of those actors you think you've, he's probably been in. Like you think he, he's probably been in another Tarantino film, but he hasn't. No. Again, he's not one of those people who kind of like suits that kind of that kind of world. You know, I'm amazed. I'm amazed he's not been in another Tarantino film. How was he not one of the Hateful Eight or something? Yeah, or, or, or Steve Buscemi. Like, the, the, there's, yeah. part, there's a part that Tarantino plays later on, and I think, how was it not Steve Buscemi? <laughs> it should have been. Steve yeah. Buscemi's got the, a cameo in the most pointless place as well, but we'll come yeah. to it. Yeah, it's, it's very weird. So he's being paid to take a dive at the same time, or towards the end of this speech. It's a long monologue from Marcellus about overcoming his pride and... You know, he, he was close, but he didn't make it, and you, you know, all the rest of it. Uh, Jules and Jules and Vincent walk in in basically kind of beachwear. <laughs> <laughs> That's really weird. We don't know why at this point. They turn up for a meeting with their boss dressed in like I don't know t-shirts and shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and there's a little bit of a square between um, uh, Vince and, and Bruce Willis, uh, but for yeah, Vince Bruce, and Butch. 
Bruce goes to the bar. This is the arrogance of the of the Vincent character that he wouldn't have done that, but for the fact that Marcellus is in the room, I think, and he's there to see Marcellus. So inherently, I'm with Marcellus. I can say and do what I like. Uh, he goes to the bar, uh, Bruce, to buy red apple cigarettes. First mention of it during this film. Uh, and he it, what is it? He says, uh, "What are you looking at, friend?" And he says, "You ain't my friend, Palooka." Mm. What did you say? And it's like, I oh, think you heard me just fine. Punch, it's just, yeah, he calls him punchy as well. He f- calls him yeah. punchy. And you think, well, given what later ha- happens to John Travolta in this film, it doesn't do him any favours. No. <laughs> but that's the end of that bit, isn't it? So we've been introduced to the Gold Ring story. We've been introduced to the Bonnie situation story, or the very start of it. And then, obviously, Vic- Vincent goes over and gives Marcellus a hug, and they go about whatever their business is. And we fade out on Bruce looking just past the camera. And then we cut to the first major complete story, which is Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife. Uh, the first opening scene is basically him buying drugs from um, not from Marty McFly. <laughs> from not Marty yeah. McFly. Yeah. He really isn't Marty McFly. And desperately seeking Susan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which means there's two Arquettes in this film. Fun fact, folks. I haven't really thought about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he goes to buy. He's uh, so he's shooting up heroin. I, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he's well, you've about. you've got basically Eric Stoltz, his girlfriend, who's Rosanna Arquette, and yeah, obviously, who's the least attractive of the singers from The Commitments, <laughs> and was I'm also in, and was also in the opening scene of The Phantom Menace. Yes, of course he was. Yeah, Bruno. Is it Bruno Gallagher? I think it is. Yes, that sounds about right. So she's gone there to to his like place just to buy some heroin. He's introduced to like all these different brands. Chooses one, shoots off, shoots off. No, he didn't. Uh-huh. Do that. <laughs> at, no po- at no point did John Travolta shoot off. Doing Stoltz's. Imagine like the six million dollar man. Any stress caused to John Travolta or his family is regretted by you. Expect to talk and we're Yeah, grave apologies, everybody. Um, no, he shoots up the heroin and then drives to this date against like uh, black and white rear projection, which kind of looks really cool. Yeah, I didn't notice this before. I mean, they, they use it a couple of times in this film. Yeah, well, if it had been on a wider angle, it would have looked terrible because you've just gone, mm. why, why have you done that? It's very subtle. It's, very, yeah. it's a close-in shot. And and the whole scene just... Um, it's very like romantically done, isn't it? Very like sort of shooting up the heroin. Well, I've seen John's fault is just sort of like just girding at the screen almost like. <laughs> he does pull a bit of weird. If you haven't you? seen Pulp Fiction, anyone listening, I promise you he doesn't gurn. He does pull some funny faces though. He isn't obviously probably gurn, but he does yeah. pull some funny faces. But you know, he, he's like. He... <laughs> <laughs> but he does that. He does that thing where his like his 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 mouth is like sort of wide shut, and he's like kind of. Mm, it's almost like he's almost like pouting, but it's like he tells teeth are kind of grow, like sort of like like sort of clipped together. You know, it's it's really unusual face he's pulling off. It's very easy to watch him as a slightly stoned or second banana in most scenes he's in. John Travolta's outstanding in this film, and it's taken me years to see it. But yeah, he heads off to to the date, which is basically picking her up at home. She's in some sort of, well, she's presumably in a bedroom or something, but yeah. she's got like an intercom with the living room. And it's all like close ups of her lips and things like that, and later on her feet. It sort of creates mystique, kind of seductive. Mystique, doesn't it, I think, about her? Yeah, she's really seductive. And it's, it's dusty. It also kind of shows that she's, she's kind of watched and kind of, I was going to say, like protected, but not really. That security there would probably be for her benefit, yeah. 
well, not benefit yeah, and traffic. But she's um, yeah. uh, the music at this point is "Son of a Preacher Man" by Dusty Springfield, which is just I do love perfect. this scene. It's absolutely perfect. It's just really iconic. Um, the costumes that she wears are just brilliant. The music. Of course, her, she, she walks room. out in time with the music as well. Yes, she does, and, exactly. Um, uh, close this is, up. Actually, this is one of, my, one of my favourite scenes in the whole film. Yeah, because you, you still haven't seen her whole face. No, exactly. And it stops, because it's a close-up on her feet. It's, it is Quentin Tarantino after all. And then we stop, and she, she, she kind of like lifts one foot up to her toes and just says, let's go. Mm. It's just like really it's perfect so cool. physical acting. You automatically know who she is just by, you know, just seeing little bits of her face. I think also she there's no she's there to be demystified at this point as well because exactly. she's the gangster's wife we've barely seen the gangster and now we're not seeing her except these sort of seductive red lips and that you don't ever even though the husband and wife you don't see them together they don't share a scene see I don't them once I don't once, know yeah one time they're up they're on that sort of garden patio table at one point when he's on the phone oh yes but I, they're not talking to each other I'm thinking just, you miss it no they don't I was yeah, saying yeah. they don't they, they, sure. they, don't they kind of like aren't they in the same scene at the the butch fight? Where they I think of... they are. When he goes in, she's there, isn't she? Mm. Mm-hmm. But, it's, but it is briefly though. I I I don't know whether it's intentional or not, but you do not get any sense that like they are they are they're the conventional husband and wife. There's no like there's no like sort of there's nothing about that relationship that makes any sense whatsoever. Well, I, I did wonder like I mean I, as much as we've talked of there being no themes, I do wonder how much thought was given to this that we can infer how big or not a gangster he is from Mia, Mm. because she wasn't a big star. She was kind of a failed actress, which kind of maybe, if that's the trophy he can get, then he's kind of a mid-level gangster. Yeah. If you see what I mean. But they go out, there's, there's a deleted scene between them leaving the apartment and them arriving at Jack Rabbit Slim's. Which I love. We'll get on to Jack Rabbit Slims in a minute. But they pull up and she says, uh, an Elvis guy like you, da 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 da, don't be a, and she draws a square. Um, the Elvis guy is the deleted scene. Did you see the deleted scene, folks? I, I haven't watched the deleted scene, though. Okay, I, there's a deleted I, scene I, where I, she's. I, oh, you talk about the, oh, which guy are you? Are you an Elvis guy or a Beatles guy? That's right. She's, oh, yeah, the, okay, the, yeah. theory, the theory that you're one or the other, yeah. deep down. You can like both, but you're one or the other. And obviously he says he's an Elvis guy, which is Tarantino's answer as well to that question. Um, And so that's why she says when you pull up an Elvis guy like you, that's from the deleted scene. But it's not a big deal because he's kind of of a bit Elvis-y in his stylings anyway, so it works. Mm -hmm. But the first thing I noticed tonight when they go into Jack Rabbit Slims is there must have been... This is almost like House of the Blue Leaves in that there's a really long steady cam shot and there's so much detail in every frame. I think there's, for, for what is relatively throwaway, there's a lot of love gone into the making of this section of the film. They've gone into this diner, which Tarantino will have designed from scratch with somebody. It, you almost think, I always think about when you when you do long shits like that, you always think of um, Scorsese and Goodfellas, don't you? Yes. You always think of that, well, that setup of... But Tarantino's all-timer is, is mm. the House of the Blue Leaves in terms of steady cam shots. There's a really long steady cam shot when the bride bli- when the bride first mm. gets there from her getting changed right the way round the whole building to the five six seven eights playing mm. and just to give you an idea of geography and where where everyone is so it's probably a more important scene in that film than the one is here because it's just giving you flavour had had we cut to them just sat at a table 
the scene would have played out the same, but it's just extra flavour. The Goodfellow ones trumps it all. That's one of the best steady cam shots you'll ever see. Oh, yeah, just in cinema generally. Yeah. Though I must say, it, do, it does annoy me slightly how she says, don't be a square, and then draws a rectangle. Yeah, don't be a square. Yeah, but yeah make your mind up. Square or rectangle? Bloody hell. No, it, well... Oh, what, you mean that, that he drew, she drew the wrong shape? Yeah, she draws, yeah, a, re- square, she draws she a rectangle. She draws a rectangle. Well, it's kind of a re- rectangle. Don't be a rhomboid. <laughs> <laughs> don't right. be a dodecahedron. I don't care. I don't care. I don't like it particularly anyway, but the fact is he is off his tits, and so is she, so fair enough. That's the other thing. She's snorting quite a lot of cocaine. Yeah. But she never eats that cherry. She doesn't. That's kind of seductive, her eating that cherry. But anyway, um, so she keeps going off to take more coke. He's off his tits anyway. Um, and it's just them sitting down in the diner, and I, this is where I don't know what to make of um, of her delivering his dialogue, because it reminded me of that scene in Death Proof when they sat around talking about Vanishing Point, and to for all the world, it might as well have been four Quentin Tarantino sat there. It's the same here. I've never been quite sure. It's a little bit overdone, but having said that, that blast of confidence is slightly bracing to him. He doesn't quite know what to do with it. He's not taken out a little gangster's mole. He's taken out this really confident woman who he's a bit beguiled by. Mm, yeah, he's not quite sure what to do. Yeah, we get a bit of talk about, like, uh, oh, this is kind of like a a waxwork, like, about, about the place, and she shows, like, a $5 shake. It's a it's a waxwork with a pulse, he said. Yeah. yeah. Orders a $5 shake. I don't know how big a deal that would be now, but this is 1994, don't forget. And... They also he does address the Tony Rocky horror throwing out of the window bit. Yeah, that that happens a bit. Dog, they they go to the bathroom. They talk about uncomfortable silences. Yeah, so there's a little bit of there's a bit that's so like oh well, I'm gonna go, I'm going to the bathroom uh, and when I come back and there's there's, there's a little sort of talk about that sort of that and yeah then then they sort of then he comes up with the idea about um, well at first he he kind sort of shows off his knowledge of pop culture. of... Of talking about like how can you can tell like difference between uh, Marilyn Monroe and someone else I I don't know <laughs> I, I can't remember if was it was it Jane Mansfield it could well be yeah let's let's say that um, yeah and he and he so well so and so must have a night off uh, but the guy the guy serving them is Buddy Holly played by Stevie Semi well yeah what a, what a waste wait it should this this, this should have been Quinton because it's like. It really should yeah. have been his cameo. It should, yeah, it should have been his uh, Hitchcock type cameo. Yeah, I mean, if he wants words, fair enough. But this would have been fine. You've only got to take an order. Yeah, yeah. Um... Although, I will slightly. I never thought I would do this because he's absolutely dreadful in it. But I will slightly defend his Jimmy performance later. But we'll get to it. But yeah, I think the casting is the wrong way around. Steve Buscemi should have done that. Yeah. I mean, I think the, what, what it was was he he, he was going to do one of the dressing gown performances. So he, if it wasn't going to be Jimmy, like he offered it to to Stoltz, said, "Which one would you rather do? Do you want to do Jimmy or do you want to do?" Uh... So he could have been he could have been his dealer. Yeah. So so basically, basically if if Stoltz said, "I want to do Jimmy," then he it would have been Quentin Tarantino as the dealer. I think Eric Stoltz would have done a better job of delivering the line "Dead nigger storage." Um, I think. I yeah, think but Jimmy, yeah, but let's face it. Jimmy anyone Roll, would Jimmy, do better. Jimmy Roll is easier to fuck up. Actually, I think he would have. I don't know. I don't know. It is what it is now. It doesn't massively damage the film, but like, 
I, it's I, a uh, bomb. It's a but it's an acting bomb note when you've got Steve Buscemi in a nothing role on the set. You might yeah. as well use him. I, yeah, I get. Yeah, I, I'm with that. I'm just think. You know, I think Eric Stoltz suits the drug dealer role perfectly. Yeah. And and every time I see Jimmy, I think, why is this not Steve Buscemi? I know, I know, I know. I've never. I, I say I know. I've never thought about it. But the first, the moment you mentioned it, it was like you're so right. <laughs> um, the, the they go. They do the big. Uh, is it Charles? Uh, not Charleston. I'm thinking of. Um, I'm thinking of it's a wonderful life, isn't it? They go. They do the big dance contest. Yeah. So we. So they they do the. Yeah. You know, the first you have the dialogue about. There's another what, kind of like oft imitated scene. Yeah. Well, you feel, first you have the dialogue about what what actually happened. So she they kind of like set the record straight. There's a little bit of a nice sort of element of like oh there's a bit of gossip between gangsters kind of thing, <laughs> yeah, which I kind of like mm. the idea. The fact that they just sort of they like stuff to talk about. But we yeah. never, we never really know why, you know, Tommy Rockyara got got thrown out, got of, thrown out of a window. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it might well be true, but no, well, well it is true. But it's like because she, 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 she kind of like no, no one really knows why Marcel's true. But the nightmare of this sort of night out is he's been sent out with an extremely attractive woman who is then much more than he was ever expecting in terms of personality and everything else. You can see he's a bit beguiled by her, but not in a cheesy Hollywood mm. way. He's just taken by the fact that she talks so well. and But then she says, I want to dance and I want to win that trophy. And it's like, what the thing is, on a night out like that, whatever she fucking says, you have to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they end up dancing. And all I, re- I remember t- two things I think about when I think about this scene. Firstly, how much it dominated the press at the time the film was being made. That there was a follow-up to... Um, Reservoir Dogs and John Travolta the big deal was John Travolta was going to be dancing again on screen bear in mind Saturday Night Fever etc. Yeah that was, that was a great big kind of talking point. The other it? thing I think of is when you see a series of stills but you see them in quick succession so they almost become like a moving picture there are stills from behind the camera of them filming this scene and what I love is Dan- Quentin stood by the camera dancing with them <laughs> and I just love that, that most directors sit kind of immobile in their chairs and watch the monitors. Quentin actually fucking acts the film out with them. And apparently yeah, he gets in there and kind of shows them how he wants it done. 13 hours they spent filming this and Quentin He's was always hand, dancing, da- dancing around as well at the same time. Well, apparently in, um, in Kill Bill, he's like, there's, there's, the shots of him like she dressed uh, depending on what the scene was. So it was like stuff at the hospital, he's in like... A surgery get-up. Or, <laughs> or, you know, or, yeah, he's he's that all like he, he's dressed accordingly apparently to the scene. He's like, right, okay. <laughs> which is yeah, kind of my enough. bit. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if he kept that up for the the following films or not. I mean, I know that I've seen the, the shots of him like dressed as a cowboy, but I don't know if that's because he was actually in that. Sh- in that scene or not or i don't know but... i don't know i don't know but um yeah it, it was just lovely to see him so enthusiastic and the thing is what a cue to get from your director that you know you're filming this thing over 13 hours and every time you look past the camera he's there big smile on his face doing what you're doing with you or at least kind of going along with what you're doing um but i just remember that but yeah the secret the, 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 they definitely bond over that because when they next go when they the next scene is them getting back to her place isn't it yeah and they're still kind of dancing and pissing about and yeah. stuff and there's there's a little bit of romantic tension now which obviously travolta's character um addresses yeah they have like oh um it's like is that what you call an uncomfortable silence yeah and it, uh... and, 
and he goes to the bathroom and he's talking to himself and I love this where he stood there going, you know, this is a test of sweet oneself and you know, you'll go home, jerk off and <laughs> <laughs> You'll you'll drink your drink quickly, not rude. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't be rude. <laughs> not too, not not too quick, but quickly. But we've all been in variations of this situation. I don't mean somebody's wife or gangsters, but we've all been in situations where you're like, I, I really, I'm getting carried away, and I mustn't make any kind of move here. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever gone and talked to myself about it in the bathroom, but um, yeah. So I kind of fell for him here, but at the same time, she she sat down by his coat and finds. Some drugs in his coat pocket. Yeah, she finds Mistakes, heroin. Thinks it's cocaine. They are different colours. I'm a bit confused by that. But anyway, she snorts it anyway and immediately ODs. Because effectively yeah. she's had a speedball now, which is extremely dangerous. Yeah, it's, I, I always kind of grossed out. Like, anything sort of spit and blood mixed together Vomit, just, stuff, just, yeah. just makes yeah. me feel a bit... There's just a combination yeah. of, like, <laughs> of spit and blood yes. on screen that makes me go... Uh, 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 uh. Anyone being treated at the Northwest hospitals in coming years? If there's no nurse about, Chris is like, Ugh. <laughs> 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 I'll, I'll, I'll wait for that to clean my shit. I'll, I'll, I'll be offering the tissue at a distance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so weird. You mean a uh, nurse, and obviously not. No, I'm not. No, I'm joking. It's a different story when it's in real in real life, but. Do <laughs> you know I've got a real thing on screen? I don't like I don't like seeing the vomit come out of somebody's mouth. No, it's a bit gross, when when you when you find her and there's vomit coming out the side of her mouth, I'm all right with that. But when you get scenes in a film where someone vomits, I always think, why have you shown that? It's gross. What, we don't need what, to see what, that. What do you think? And yeah, I can like... watch the most absurd violence without problems. What, what it's, it's like the Mr. Mr. Grisso in um, Is It Meaning of Life? Right. I just it's, it's really it's hilarious, utterly hilarious and really famous scene. But I just think it's just oh it's so disgusting. But I'm I'm talking any film, not necessarily gross out films. I mean I'm thinking of something like The Judge, that, that um, Robert Downey Jr. film where that lawyer played by um Dak Shepherd. At one point he's nervous and vomits on like oh, the side lawn outside the court, but Ooh. you see the vomit come out of his mouth. Ooh. There's no fucking need. No. He could have literally just bent over and you go, Well, he's gonna throw up, isn't he? But there you go. What do you think of Team America with the puppet pharmacy? <laughs> yeah, that does get a little bit. You know, it's, it's funny. It's but then not as erotic bit... as the golden shower. But... <laughs> or the puppet sex scene. Oh, that sex scene was. So again, that's that's just, that's done purely because it's overkill and that's, that's, that's it's so absurd because he's a puppet. Um, but yeah, no, she's she's sick and of all course. Those two, we... All those two old grannies from Little Britain, where they puke at everything that's kind of not white or not British, and it's like, oh, what the oh. hell. That's really old. That's not really not a Down With The Kids reference. <laughs> oh, it, it's no Simpsons. Um, or South Park. No. Um, really, yeah, what's, so what's the most recent one I can think of? Mm, I can't. If you can think of any up-to-date, hip and down with the kids vomiting scenes, please write to us <laughs> and expect us to talk at gmail.com. Yeah, so he, the, in panic, he, he, he rushes us straight to his dealer, which is just an adult mind. You know, back back in the day when I was a student, you know, if I if if one of my colleagues had been taken sick, I wouldn't have rushed him to like some alley up around the corner, <laughs> rush him to a flat in Highton. It, it 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 does smartly justifies it in a way. It, it, it is like Travolta in a state of panic, 
But over the dialogue with him and the drug dealer, it is kind of justified. So I can't just take it to the hospital. And uh, who, so if I can't do that and I can't I have to keep this on the low because otherwise I'll be fucked. Uh, you have yeah. to help me. And then like if she dies, I'm going to have to force to tell to tell the uh, Masaurus that like, you refuse yeah. to help me. Yeah. Um, so it kind of justifies it so to, to, to a degree. It's like, you're the only guy I know who would know how to deal with this. <laughs> There's a real ticking clock to this as well, because she's OD'd. You yeah. know, like, she's dying. She's dying. Her brain's dying. She's not breathing or anything. They've got no time here. We don't even know how far he's had to drive with her to get there. Um, and they're going to do an adrenaline shot to the heart. I don't know the I don't know the validity of this. I don't know if there's anything in this in reality, but it's a really good scene. It's really tense. The only bit I hate is after she sits up and Rosanna Arquette goes, "That was really fucking trippy," and I'm just like, "Yeah, that that that's a guy trying to find dialogue from some people who were like from Stoned. a generation from his own. It didn't really work." I, I guess. Um, I mean, it work, It works well enough. The fact that they're stoners, so they would just be like, "Whoa, you know, about anything." Yeah. I think the problem is I don't think Rosanna Arquette is, and I think it shows that she isn't. What stoner? You know what I mean, yeah. yeah. I think basically Quentin should have cast a complete drugged up mess in this role. <laughs> uh, yeah, but there's like you know she's smart mouth. She's like say something, something, and then yeah they 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 go home and she. Tells, tells the fox. She tells ah, him. we haven't mentioned Fox Force Five, have we? No, no. Fox Force Five. When I said she was a failed actress, she did a pilot for a show called Fox Force Five, which was like five crime-fighting women. Um, it's basically her... like a reference to, to X Men as well, isn't it? Because Fox Force Five was quite another kind of famous Marvel-esque. Um, I think it alias is, yeah. or something. Because I think it it is. Um, there's one it, like something to do with. Is it her name? Um, like I forget some of what it... her name is, but her specialism is knives. Which is quite amusing. And we'll see that again in Kill Bill. Kill Bill is two films later, and it's the same sort of deal. Uh, but she finishes. It's all in the same universe, isn't it? Every yeah, but that's the movie movie universe. Yeah. But um, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks' time. But you've got um, we talked about it a little bit last week, but we'll refer to it again in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but you've got she was supposed to finish every episode with a joke. Um, he was trying to get her to tell him the joke, and. Um, it got all a bit built up, so she didn't. And it was wonderfully like how that is how real people talk. Like you built it up now. I can't say it now. Um, and it's a real joke. It's a real shit joke about a tomato being squashed. Catch mm. up. Shit. <laughs> oh dear. Well, she looks really washed out. The makeup job on her is great. No, yeah, she does look really terrible in this. I'll say the makeups and the costume is uh, makeup and <clears throat> the makeup and the costume are amazing. They really are. And of course, when she goes inside, he blows a kiss at her, and that's a lovely shot. Mm, fantastic. Ruined by the fact that he probably goes home and has a wank. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't think about that part so much. Do you not? Imagine it, Becca. Don't <laughs> try not to. Keeping a nice rhythmic pace. <laughs> I, 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 I just imagine Schwartz's cum face must be like. Bloody <laughs> hell. Cannot unsee. <laughs> Go on, Chris, you were describing his cum face. What do you reckon he looks like? I don't know. I don't know. Sweatier than his normal face. He's normally behind you, isn't he, Chris? What would Darby say to all this? He just just wishes them a nice honeymoon. That's what he should have done for it. Yeah, I know it is. There was nothing nothing in his dialogue that fit inside to steal it. No. Um, But but, but he did offer cream and sugar, so... (laughs) 
So then we... <laughs> I don't know why that was really camp, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, so then we cut to the Gold War We cut straight to a young boy watching TV in what looks like probably the 60s. Late yeah. 60s, it looks like. And given what, what it's Vietnam, yeah, I would think that's right. And in walks his mother with... Christopher Walken introduces Christopher Walken, who kneels, who kind of crouches down in front of the boy and tells him a story. Yeah, <laughs> and it's basically Christopher Walken talking for two minutes. But Which it's is mesmerizing. Like one of the greatest two minutes ever committed to, to cinema. About assholes. <laughs> and watches. <laughs> yes. It's quite, it's an interesting story, actually, when you think about it. Chris's funny stories. <laughs> <laughs> this is all about this watch that's been in Butch's family. Butch, the little boy, will become, grow up to be the Bruce Willis character. And this watch has been in generations of this family and got gone off with the incumbent owner of that watch at any given time to various wars through the century, like World War One, World War II, World War II, and now Vietnam. Uh, and the watch is sacrosanct. This story tells us this watch is sacrosanct. Whatever's going to happen to you, protect that watch. It's your family's right. Hence, hide it up your... So the whole story is about them hiding it up their ass for like two or three years and having dysentery and stuff. <laughs> it's just lovely. Yeah, there's something about watching Christopher Walker. I mean, again, Christopher Walker's one, another one of that distinct... Oh, I wish Terrence, he was in more Tarantino movies, because... <laughs> Again, it's just Christopher Walken. Just it's just like it commands the screen, even though it's... Again, he could he could easily have been the Bruce Stern character in the Hateful Eight. I was trying to think of the Bruce Stern character, isn't in in Hateful Eight? But yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I wish he'd been in more as well. But I suppose this finite characters. And the thing is, as well, we got to remember it isn't just about us. Tarantino wants to work with certain actors. I mean, to talk for his next film, it, uh, you know, there's talk of like Tom Cruise and stuff like that. And you think, well, he's made, if he does indeed want to work with Tom Cruise, he's had like seven or eight shoots, complete film shoots now mm. with no Tom Cruise there. So Tom Cruise might end up in a role that we think, wouldn't that have been great had it been? And we named someone he's worked with before. I suppose part of it is he needs to get through the people he wants to work with as well. It does annoy me that he's worked three three times with Michael Madsen, though, who I don't rate when there's all these really great actors he worked with once. But, yeah, it is yeah. what it is. It's, it's more, I think with Madsen, it's more of a friend thing, isn't it, really? I, I guess. It's more, because there's a lot of, like, the thing about trust of Hateful Eight, but I suppose we'll get to that later on. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, so then we hear the ding, ding. Yeah, he's woken up. Uh, he's basically reliving that in a dream before this fight that we've seen him agree to throw. Yeah. Uh... And then we cut to outside with a, with a very realistic cab driver waiting. Not wearing any shoes. Cab drivers are always wet dreams, aren't they? Yeah, they're always like Eastern European, whatever the fuck. Big full lips. Yeah. Butch. You just... <laughs> what? And like it, I, I, I just again, this is one of my problems with with this bit. And I, I didn't realise there was a much of a problem, but I never really connected with this. I've, I've always kind of treated the scene as kind of like as kind of like a downtime for the rest of the film, where I, I'll just yeah. switch off a bit. But this scene is fucking odd. Like I don't know where the fuck this is going with this shit. It is very strange, isn't it? 
Like, it's just it's just things like it's just Bruce Willis. This I don't find the guy very likable. She says, "So what does your name mean?" Well, I'm American, honey. Our names don't mean shit. And it's like, well, that's actually a good line on the page, delivered like a misanthrope. It's just you know, she's just asked an innocent enough question, and you sounded really a bit of a prick answering that. I, I just but, I just wonder like, I well, where where the scenes what we got like. It's a, a pointless scene. Like, well, no, it isn't actually because it's exposition. It yeah. tells us what's just happened. Yeah, he, he finds out over the radio that he's actually killed the fighter. He's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, which which adds something. That's like, the only poignant moment in the scene. But it just the rest of it, I'm just thinking, I don't believe for one second she's a cab driver, and there's, there's nothing about the scene that's believable. She's asking, she's asking really weird questions like, what's it like to kill a man? Literally seconds after he's found out. You know, it's just like, part of me is just like, what the fuck is going on here? I, I don't want to... Like, you know, she's not a character that turns up at all later on. There's no relevance to this whatsoever. She's not of... even an Easter egg, is she? She's not mentioned in one of his other films or anything. No. It's a bit nothing. It stylistically looks all right, and there's, there are extended versions of this. One of the deleted scenes is an extended version of this. Um, But I think that's my problem with this storyline altogether i was I, I was quite interested to see him at the start of the film and the whole bit about you you have to throw the fight nearly everything that's coming in the gold what oh and i love the christopher walking stuff but nearly everything that comes from now on i don't like i don't like at all i like parts because what happens next i mean yeah when we he drops off he meets his uh I don't, girlfriend. his girlfriend let's say girlfriend she's she's they're involved so yeah, his girlfriend. And again, this is again another female character here that it just she's annoying for starters, and she's they bring up they kind of bring up even bad traits in Bruce Willis's character. There's just like there's nothing about this relationship that is just like that makes me kind of want there's them to a win. Great warmth there. He talks quite warm occasionally, but he talks quite patronising because yeah. she's kind of child. Because she's kind of childlike. Yeah, that, that's just not, it. not in a physical sense, by the way, for anyone who's not seen it. She's she's clearly a fully grown adult woman, um, and I'm not suggesting she's like um, developmentally delayed or anything. There's just something in the way she talks that's just so painfully childlike yeah. and naive. And he responds to it by talking to her like a slow child. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I mean, part it's partly made because she's like from a different country, so maybe like a language barrier that might be part, part of it. But then she. But then there, there is, it does get pushed a bit too much, really, and it just, you know, and there's this part where he calls her a retard, and he kind of like, oh. and it's, it, it's just. It's you didn't just like so, that, Becca, by the sound of it. That, no. That, that sort of struck a chord at the time, did it? Yeah, not, not a fan. Like, I, I was going to say, yeah, this scene is probably not my favourite. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 just, it's weird, I, I don't. Yeah, that's just it, Becca, it's just weird. It just, it just don't feel, I mean, like, I understand, I mean, I'm not very PC, so it wasn't the fact that he, they said the word, it was the fact that he went, like, he'd sort of start mimicking someone, like, well, you know, it's just... Well, exactly, that's it. And, yeah, it's not, it's not obviously, and, not yeah. PC and everything. It's, it's not the language used, even though I, I don't agree with it anyway, but it's, it was, the language that he uses is right for his character. Um, but yeah, why would you, to me, this, in terms of, like, the rest of the film, in terms of, like, the whole... The narrative choices that it makes and the whole stories that we follow throughout the course of the film. This to me sticks out like a sore thumb. It's like, why? Yeah. You belong in a different film. What are you doing there? Well, no, I just, I just think it's really poorly 
done really. I don't get yeah, by. I don't. I don't buy their relationship whatsoever. I don't get. I don't no, really. I would agree, Chris. And he's an immediate. I mean, basically, because they know that he's going to be. He's obviously decided he ain't throwing this fight. He can't bring mm. himself to do it. Then I suppose that does tie in with all the family pride and family heirlooms and all that kind of thing. He's obviously got some pride in the family name, you know, and stuff like that. So he can He knows he's not going to. So he he gets her to meet him at a motel and pack what stuff they need. They're basically going to skip town because he knows he's going to be a marked man after this. Marcellus is a killer. Um, so she packs up, and when he's going through stuff, the watch isn't there. She's managed to leave the watch back at their apartment. And whilst, that, whilst we are sold that that watch matters to him, his reaction, given we've had a total absence of anything to soften this character for us, the viewer just makes him seem like the pig he is, to be honest. I, I, Hence, why would I care what happens to him? I, mm. I think it's just totally confused, because I, I believe why he'd be pissed. But but then, well, for starters, I think, well, if it matters that much, why don't you have it with you? You had a, a bag full of your own clothes. Well, if it's been with. up people's asses, you can keep it in your fucking glove at a push. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if it's that fucking important. I mean, he, he does apologise to us, so I never... I, I, I never I never expressed how important that what was meant to me, which kind of expresses well how how long you've been in a relationship with this person. Because fucking hell, like you know, maybe it's a it's a feelings thing, but you know, you know, express how you feel a lot. But I, yeah. But again, it's just yeah. So again, it, it says a lot about this scene that you're you're all making like really good observations and it's like good conversation and everything else. But mentally, I'm thinking spin on, spin on, spin on because I don't like this sequence much. So I'm like, come yeah. on, where do we go now? It's, it's, past it. it's basically all set up to him having to go back to, back to, back his, to his apartment, hat, apartment where he doesn't want to go, essentially. For some Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts, <laughs> oh my God. It's a very 90s thing, Pop-Tarts, isn't it? I don't know. I've never had them. never yeah. had them in my life. Yeah, they're overrated. If you enjoy Pop-Tarts, write to us at expectustotalk at gmail.com. I've actually uh, eaten a Pop-Tart. It was very sweet. I wouldn't advise it. And, and tell if us you what find your favourite too sweet. Alternative, <laughs> <laughs> if you don't give a flying monkeys, send an email to expectustotalk.com. Send us your favourite flavour of pop tart, and of course, if you want to send us pop tarts, <laughs> please send it to PO this Box. This is not sponsored by Kellogg's pop tarts in any way, shape, or form. Jazz tarts. Classic Pardon, tarts. that's a different thing entirely, isn't jazz it? Jazz mags. You've lost me now. So he goes back to the apartment, and this is where um, this is where Vincent is fucking useless without Jules. He's gone to the toilet and left his gun on the counter. Yeah, well, you get that first like oh, scene of a like uh, steady cam shot where he's which follows Bruce as he walks to his apartment. Which is less memorable because I forgot it was a steady cam yeah. shot. And yeah, so it, I, this is I, this is probably like my favorite bit of the of of the book because it's just so like casual into in terms of how he. Just pops it pops into the apartment. You think, oh well, everything seems to be okay now. I'll get pick up the watch. Oh, I'll get some pop. I'll down. have a bit of breakfast. Yeah, what? I'll I'll get get a bit of food because probably won't get a chance before. And it's just like casual glance of like seeing like an Uzi with silence and just like. Kind of, uh, like... That's that, that the problem. That's a lovely shot when he spots it actually and hears the noise from, noise from the toilet. But it's just Jules had some fucking brains. You know what I mean? Mm. We're we're now following the Vincent. fucking. We're following. Jules had some brains. Oh, sorry. Not Vincent. We're now following the fucking mixed ability group. You know what I mean? Uh, I just don't like it. I just don't like any of this at all. And it gets worse because of what's coming next, which 
for somebody who's very difficult to offend, upset, or anything, all the stuff that's coming in a minute, I just think that's completely fucking unnecessary in every single way. So, yeah, he shoots Vincent, which is a big thing with um, Travolta's um, agent. Because Travolta's agent was like, but he dies. And he says, yeah, but he's alive at the end of the film. But they head, of course, he heads back down. Where does he go next? Because he ends up on the street somewhere. Oh, he's driving, isn't he? He's yeah, driving he's car. driving. He thinks he's got away with it. And I think I, this is part of it that, kind of, that I really like. It's comic time. It's like he's literally golden now. He's just got to get away. And he just, lo and behold. But it's also like, it's the reveal of, um, of uh, oh, what's his name in it now? It was uh, Big Rames, Marcellus Wallace. It's also the reveal because because you haven't, bear in mind, you haven't, haven't properly seen him yet. So it's, yeah, it's it, is, it is that sort of Hitchcock cameo bit that he's just in a crowd crossing the road. Yeah, he says casually and just walk out, just grabbed a coffee. That pulse, it's, and it's like he realizes who he's looking at. At the same time, we figure out shit. That must be yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's I, I think it's played brilliantly. This bit like oh shit. So he runs him over. And he, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm only so, surprised the car didn't bounce off him. Bing, Bing Rames convinces you he's like made of stone. Yeah. He is like a man of steel, but not obviously Superman. Yeah, he's like, yeah. He literally rock hard. Literally rock hard. Like, literally. Rames. <laughs> Don't mess with him. Don't get rock hard, not where they're going. Well, not. <laughs> So, yeah, he runs into a store because basically Ving Rhames gets up, waves a gun in the air. Uh, he runs into this kind of, is it a weapons store? It's definitely because selling swords. Yeah. And well, 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 you get like an innocent bystander gets shot in the shoulder. Again, the same woman who gets shot in Reservoir Dogs by, by Mr. Orange. Okay, same actress. Oh, Mr. Orange, yeah. Yeah. yeah, same I actress. That's a, fun, that's a fun fact. I don't know if I've ruined That's it. fun, folks. I don't know if I ruined fun facts for you guys. But, um, so, yeah, the. It, it, Willis goes in there to find something to kind of fight back with. And, of course, to cut a long story short, they both end up getting sort of knocked out and tied up in there, don't they? Yeah. And I hate all of this. Do you? I hate oh, all of this. It's not I don't know what it is because there's very little content-wise. I certainly defend the right of all this content to be there. I, I don't tend to get offended by very much. I just can't see what it's here for. Well, as I said on top of the film, like on top of the podcast, this film is kind of very superfluous. It, there isn't really much, really, that means anything. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- th- I think this scene strikes me as like one of those just really weird fucking days. Yeah. It's just, it's just one of, it's just like kind of, it's just like that, and it's. And then, and it, I, then I ended up bombing a gimp, which was nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it is. It is like like that. There isn't really much to it other than the, other than the fact that they both get end up in the tight situation. Bruce Willis breaks free of it, frees out, out of some weird kind of. Uh, I can't leave him there, it, you know, and and kind of breaks him free, and there's kind of like a mutual kind of like, all right. But he we're, walks. We're, I mean, cool now. when he walks in, Marcellus is is basically being raped. Yeah, no, he is being. It's not, but yeah, he is. He is. He is literally being raped, yeah. Um, and yeah, just the comedic tones, like him sort of like picking up a baseball bat, then seeing a chainsaw, then go, "Oh no, a samurai sword!" That mm. kind of thing. Um, I mean, the, the idea of like a chained up gimp with 
is without any capacity to talk whatsoever. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, God, just, seem, just just seems like the most stupidest thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. this is a long way. This is a long way round to um, Bruce is basically allowed to go free, providing he leaves town. Yeah. Um, Fine by me. I was doing it anyway. <laughs> yes, what he was doing anyway. He sticks. He, he steals uh, Zed's bike, which is one of the guys from that place. Uh, picks up, goes to pick up his girlfriend, and it's like, this is whose whose bike's this? Zed, Zed's dead baby. Yeah. And that's it. That's the end of that story. And I just thought, what was the point of fucking hating it? Yeah, what's the point of that? Well, yeah, a lot. I mean, I suppose the next one's just as, like, kind of inconsequential. It's just, like, a bunch of things. It's just... Yeah, but it's better. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um... <laughs> it's good. And it's got an actor, actors I like watching. <laughs> you know? Um, but I what... actually want to see this is a voyage of discovery but, for me, listen. I didn't realise I didn't like Bruce Willis. I've worked it out through this but show. I don't what, like Bruce um... But what's your opinion on the theory that it was actually um, Butch who uh, keyed uh, Vince's car? Oh, I have always assumed it was. I was I've, I've never even taken that as a... I would sort of think it was as well. I was trying to figure it out because he said, like, he did mention it a couple of days ago. So what's the timeline here? It's like, is is the Maria Rollis... Um, uh, the Golden Watch is the last thing. The, the Gold Watch is the last thing, but the, the Maria Rollis... Um, and the, the 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 Mia Wallace section of the film is, is that on the I, same evening as I, I think it's either the same evening or the next evening after we see oh, them right. in it, Marcellus's bar at the start. It, it mustn't be then because he said it was like a couple of days or something. There is a, like there is a sort of something about that. I thought it was the next night, but anyway, the fight was the following Friday yeah. or something like that. I think this takes place. We don't quite know when the first one is. I think it was a Monday morning, so I think mm. the film takes place over about five days. If I sat down and figured it out, I could write it out. It's it's not that difficult. It's a few days. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, so we're on to the we get we get sucked straight back into uh, the apartment where they're shooting uh, Frank Wiley. Yeah, we get we get the basically the tail end of the path of the righteous man again. They they shoot um they shoot not Andrew McCarthy. Um and then and then they're shot at by not Jerry Seinfeld. Yes. Now there's an there's a I don't know if you've ever noticed the gaff here. There's bullet holes in the wall behind them before he's even fired. Oh no, I spotted that. No. It's just a little gaff that I know, was pointed out years ago. But yeah, this guy leaps out and he's like, die motherfuckers or whatever, fires his gun till the chamber's empty and has missed both of them with every shot from about four feet away. And what, what's even a little bit more annoying, you think, hang on, if he just stayed hidden, they would have just left and you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have got killed. I know. <laughs> if, you just, like, if, you just, like, if you just stayed where you are, you know, yeah. they probably would have just like... You were safe, off. they didn't know you were there? <laughs> oh dear. There's an episode of Seinfeld we never saw. <laughs> yes. He should, have, he should have been sat eating a bowl of cereal, shouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. uh, so they drive off. Marv, we, did, we didn't really know. I, I, I didn't twig in the first time round that Marvin was their inside person. Although I think it is there he's asked about what I didn't tell us how many there were. But they're driving him back in the car. What are they talking about? They're talking about something because John Travolta turns to get Marvin's opinion. Oh well, yeah. yeah get well, first when you get the shot, they have like talk about like it's just kind of like an act of God, and it's like oh don't don't talk about that. And then Marv's pissing off Vince, so 
Yeah. It's like saying, like, oh, I'm going to shoot you too if you keep... If you, yeah, I can't. Um, I can't... But I, at some point, but then he asks his opinion on somebody. He says, what do you think? And then suddenly, it cuts to outside the car at the back and you just see blood suddenly spill. Oh. It's a wonderful shot. I, 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 why can't I think of it now? It's just he turns to get his opinion, but he just happens to have his. Oh gun. no! Yeah, they are. Talk- they are literally talking about what's just happened. Like they've been an act of miracle, and he's like thinking. Yeah, what, what, do you, what do you think, Marvin? Yeah. Bang? Oh, I just <laughs> shot Marvin in the face. Like most superfluous line in cinema <laughs> history. Oh man, what are we gonna do? And it's like ten thirty. It's like I don't know, eight thirty, nine thirty in the morning, on a Monday or something, and they're out on the street. That they're, they're in like commuter traffic. Like and there's just blood everywhere. It's, so the... there, there is a there is a what I I think the thing that makes this this part of the movie work is the joy of seeing people just act really sort of petulant and bitchy <laughs> about like a murder scene. <laughs> like yeah. why why am I why am I picking brain off the fucking ball? You want to fucking shot him? <laughs> <laughs> they drove they drive over to this place. Jimmy Jimmy was Jules's partner while Vincent was away. Jimmy's yeah. done what Jules is about to do. Retired. From it all, it's a Jules A. Jim reference, by the way, the the French film. That's why they got those two names. Um, they drive there because they need to get the car off the road. And the next thing is they call they call I think he calls Marcellus or one of Marcellus's people, mm. and they call the wolf. Who's that? Some family do or something? Which is bizarre, <laughs> nine thirty on a Monday morning, but whatever. And the wolf is um, Harvey Keitel. See, I never knew. Reprising his character in um, the direct line adverts here in the UK. That's done for the last few years. So, like almost like sold his soul and the memory of the city. Yeah. Like, he really has. Just, I just kind of think, oh bloody hell, really? Just, just to pick up on that, I never knew Jimmy was a former hitman. Or used to, you know, he never struck me as as. I've always... got that from special features rather than directly, but it he... was. It... Yeah, he... Jules A. Jim. Yeah. they were they were partners before. He. In, in this film, he always struck me as, as like just someone that Jules knew rather than anyone who's outside. Maybe I'm this. wrong. Maybe I'm wrong because he doesn't exactly give off an air of professional hitman, does he? No, no, he doesn't. Sort of like that, that's just thing. He just feels like sort of why, why are you bringing this into my life? I've I've no expertise, you know, in, in yeah. this. But um, he settled down. With, he settled. Down, the, the reason this story is called the Bonnie situation is Jimmy is married to a nurse called Bonnie. Mm-hmm. I love the little sort of what if shot of her coming home. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. This is the most comedic section of the film, although the whole film's funny. But um, they get there, and you've got Quentin Tarantino, which is a bit of a shock the first time you see it. It's like, oh, that's Quentin Tarantino. And he's got this whole um, monologue about how they shouldn't have brought him there and all the rest of it. And he says, did you notice the sign outside that said, the nigger storage? Yeah. Um, Well, in all honesty... That line is the one thing that suits Quentin to most things he ever acts is there's such a softness and sweetness in his voice mm. that that slight, quiet, naive guy kind of suits him. The problem is he delivers lines quite poorly. So it's kind of embarrassing how badly he acts this. But he's all right once the wolf turns out. Up. Yeah. I mean, when, I, when they go to, like, spray them clean at the end, he looks quite gleeful and stuff. Yeah, I think that's what I think it's... I, 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 the bit where I think this should be uh, Buscemi, because, like, I can see Buscemi delivering this shit, delivering it while losing his shit. It's like, it's like, it's like do, do you see a sign that says technical storage? That's because no fucking... That's, you know, this kind of, like, really sort of... Just a really yeah. sort of panicky... 
But like, Eric Stoltz, equally, Eric Stoltz could have done it as well. But yeah. like, the point is, because I could, just as you said that, I could picture him doing it. Because that is kind of the reaction he, he gives when Travolta turns up with a dying woman anyway. Yeah. Um, basically, the wolf comes out to just basically calm things down. He's not telling them anything they don't know. But he comes down to calm them down and set them to work in the best possible way to cover up all of the blood, get the body hidden, get it somewhere where it can be disposed, etc. So blankets and all the rest of it. Also to pay Jimmy off. Yeah. So he can buy some stuff for his wife to placate her because we get the impression she might, no one's going to want a dead body in their house so she'd be justified. But we get the impression she wears the trousers in that house. Hmm. Well, yeah, because obviously... It, you know, what does Jimmy do for work? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nothing. We don't know. Um, we so, don't know, and it's not important. He's yeah. at home and in this slot. Doesn't mean he doesn't work shifts or start yeah. a bit later or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I think, again, this is like the thing with the wolf. He just, what's kind of cool, like, is, is his, his superpower is the fact that he can act calm and think rationally. About how, everyone... Yeah, and he can do everything. He can do everything at accelerated speeds. I mean, he says. I think it's thirty minutes you know, away. I'll be there in ten. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I forget what the time says, but there's like a little time check that says something in fifty-seven seconds later, eight minutes and fifty-seven seconds later, or something. Um, and that's inherently funny because he's just got enough sp- spare brain capacity that he can deal with that accelerated pace, and they've got to clear up very fast. She's about to come off shift. Not only that, those cars have got the, the cars got to go back out on the road and not be clearly something wrong with it so that's all that section is really um it's a good little section because he blasts in like such a sort of he's an absolute blast of energy through this harvey Keitel. and it is funny like you say why am i why am i on brain detail (laughs) (laughs) it's the thing with the washing where they're washing hands and the george bottles there like drying it and then the the, uh he's just just putting pure blood on the (laughs) he's like what the fuck is this like <laughs> but oh, I, I think that's the thing with this. It's the little tiny little character details that just make you laugh. That you go, oh yeah, we all have a friend. And they're not saying people who just murder people and write blood on their thing. But you know, people, they... somebody who just fucks it up, and you go, what are you fucking but, doing? But there's, it's in an odd way. There's part that relates to that kind of shit. It's like, imagine, oh, if I was in a murder, I. I know someone, or I would probably do something that's fucking stupid. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, and then they're hosed down. They're put in spare clothes, hosed down, and then put in spare clothes, which is the clothes we saw them in at the bar earlier. That's why they're wearing all the dodgy t-shirts and everything. But before they go to Marcellus's, they go to the, a diner for breakfast, um, and that is the diner that we see Pumpkin and Honey Bunny holding up at the start of the film. So Jules and uh, Vincent were sat in that restaurant having breakfast when that scene went off at the start of the film. Yeah. So basically, they pick up on that conversation. So like, literally, like they had the conversation about uh, being a spiritual thing, and then obviously they shot Marv in the face. So yeah. that I love the the line that always sticks with me from this is when. Um... <laughs> They're talking about he doesn't eat pork, and they're talking about how personality goes yeah. the wrong way. And he's saying that that would have to be one charming motherfucking thing. <laughs> 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 um, and then he says he's going to quit and walk the earth like Kane in Kung Fu. Now that reference, I, I don't. I wonder how age sensitive that was. Do you get that reference, Becca? Um, a little bit before my time, but you have a little bit of knowledge of 
Kung Fu Cinema. Kung Fu was a TV show with David Carradine in it. Yeah. And he used to kind of walk from place to place like a lot of these 70s films. He basically probably was in like, he was probably traveling with Bill Bixby and the Littlest Hobo because it's the same principle. Well, these um, 70s. Yeah, it was, yeah a, so it was a Western Kung Fu film, basically. It was pretty it was, much, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, a TV show, but yeah, yeah. It's pretty good in its way. Something else we can it. also mention in the Kill Bill. Definitely, because obviously David Carradine would have been Carradine, cast yeah. on the basis of stuff like that as well. But yeah, Kung Fu's a 70s TV show, and the main, main character was called Kane. So Walk the Earth Like Kane in Kung Fu scans better than Walk the, Walk the Earth Like Bruce Banner in The Incredible Hulk. You could have said that. You could have said anything. Yeah. But um, it scans really well. But that, that reference is being lost to time now. But it's funny. It, it made me smile at the time. So, yeah, they go, around, they go around robbing the restaurant. And when they get to Jules, Jules just is calm. They want to, him to open the case, which is the whole point of them going to that apartment in the first place, get mm. that case back. And he won't do it. Or I think he does open it at some point, but it shows him. Is that what I think it is? Uh, but, yeah, they, can't, they won't give him yes, that. Yes, it's the MacGuffin. Yes, <laughs> um, but then you've got Vincent and you can tell Vincent is going to be useless when Jules goes because he keeps nearly inflaming the situation you've got Amanda Plummer who just desperately loves her man and doesn't want him to get hurt and you've yeah. got Jules threatening to fucking uh, Vincent threatening to shoot him and shoot her yeah I mean to be fair if you were just randomly walked in the situation you'd be like what the fuck's going on um, and yeah like if you let this guy walk away for, for like 500 bucks or, or 1500 bucks I'm going to shoot him on principle um, yeah yeah, he does. He, he gives him the contents of his wallet and says, with that, you've made a pretty good score today. Yeah. But he, he go, takes him through the path of the righteous man, delivered totally differently because he sat calmly at a table mm. and just says, and starts talking about who each of them are in that parable. Mm. And he's saying about how he's trying to be the shepherd. I really like this. Samuel L. Jackson was just electric. If he'd never made another film, this would have been burned on my brain. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, like, it's just the notion of the fact that he—it's uh, like you think I'm just giving you that money. I'm not, you know, you—you're not seeing it. I'm, I'm buying something, and what I'm buying is your soul. You know, this this kind of like trying to reach out to people, like trying to change and be a for be a force for something better, uh, is is powerful. Th- you know, just thinking about it, really. Um, so, and of course. Uh, Samuel Jackson just commands the screen anyway with the there, whole thing there has some, uh, I've not seen big screen presence I think it was the first time I'd, I'd seen big screen presence projected like that before yeah. it just absolutely came out and just grabbed this, grabbed us all by the scruff of the neck and by the way, at this point he was like a, a jobbing actor as well he was like he's, he's, he was one who's um, he'd, been, act- well, he'd been very lauded for Jungle Fever oh was it, was it Jungle Fever Jungle Fever was... Because Samuel L. Jackson was a... I may get this wrong. I think he was a heroin addict. Educated man, happily married man, everything, but a heroin addict. One of the reasons Samuel L. Jackson makes so many films and plays so much golf now is to keep himself busy. It's part of the whole managing the addiction. Now, I don't know how vulnerable he is these days because he's been clean for years, but he was in Jungle Fever in about 1990 as an addict when he'd only just come clean himself. So that was a major big deal. But he was still using when he was in things like Coming to America, Robin McDowell's his signature role. Um, he, was, he was always the... Um, he, he always seemed to be like, oh, that guy actor. He seems to sort of like progress from 
oh, it's that guy who's constantly been doing yeah, small he, little roles. He's in Goodfellas. He's one of the people that does that big score at the end of the film and gets shot in the back of the head. Um, but this is the film that, that really, really popularised the guy. And I, I actually, on balance, prefer him in Jackie Brown, but this is his signature performance. Hmm. Talking of which, just as an aside, we've been offered another charity cast. Have we? For the spring, right? When it's the person's birthday, they want to kick in again and get us to do Coming to America. All right. All right, okay. I'm totally fucking up for that. Oh, yeah, fine. Let's do it. In, in, a, in a weird way, it is the sequel to Trading Places. It is totally the sequel to Trading Places, which is which is my next choice for the Christmas commentary. Dun, 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 but it, ain't my cho- it, it ain't my it, choice next time. Though. No. <laughs> so we've got to stay alive and, and, and computers have got to still exist and stuff. Yeah, we've got like we've got to wait till like uh, why not? Why uh, not? Two thousand nineteen before we do that, and then, and then two thousand twenty mm, for, jing- for jingle all the way. So stay tuned, listeners. Oh, God. I thought you were joking, but we are doing jingle all the way, aren't we? <laughs> I think we are. <laughs> I mean, I, mean it, it, it might, I might change my mind, but yeah, probably, <laughs> but probably. <laughs> so yeah, there, there's something very sweet about the way Pumpkin and Honey Bunny leave the restaurant. The way he's captured them there. After all that, you think, what a sweet pair. <laughs> well, they just walk out the uh, the, yeah. the diner. Yeah. Didn't pay for the meals, the bastards, though, but... <laughs> no, Dash. <laughs> they walked out with, like, eight grand of customers' money. They could at least slap down, you know, $12. <laughs> yeah, but now they do uh, Vincent Jules, though. They just, like, oh, well, we should get away. They yeah, just yeah. walk out. They yeah. did eat as well, because we saw him eating, didn't we? Yeah. 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 Oh well, bastards. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then the the film ends, and there we are. That's pulp fiction. Final thoughts, folks. Uh you know, it 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 is a, it is a classic alternate spirit. I think what what attracts people to this is a the filmmaking on display with the acting, but also it's just so watchable. I think it, what what it is, it's trademark Tarantino with. His dialogue and just how the film just flows and just hypnotise you, even though there isn't much beyond that surface. It, you know, you can't help but just enjoy it for what it is. This is probably yeah one of the most famous Tarantino movies. Um, and for me, certainly as a film student back in the day, it was kind of more of an entry point along with Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, I kind of I as well as I say for me, it was one of like the least least watched films. Um, actually, next week's film is probably one that I had hardly seen at all prior to this moment. Um, You're in for a treat, Becca. You're in for a treat. I know, really I know. Are. I'm looking forward to it, definitely. Really um, but yeah, no, it's just lo- lots of iconic, you know, iconic scenes, iconic moments, um, infinitely quotable as well. Um, as, as we discussed, there are some scenes which are just like, what the hell is, you know, what is happening? Why? It just seems to me out of step for the rest of the film. Um, and definitely in terms of like sort of mid to late 90s, other, um, other directors, and um, other, you know, films, TV shows, what was in the you know popular culture, tried to ape it endlessly. So that kind of detracts from from the the effect a little bit. Um, but no, I think this is like you know Tarantino at his most iconic. I think that we when we went through the Bond series, we pointed out how how Goldfinger was the Bond film. And it was none of our favourites. I mean, we, I think we all put it forth in the end, but it was the Bond film, if you it's said. It's the quintessential. I was gonna it's say not, the Bond film, yeah. I was going to say, the word I was going to use to describe it is formulaic, but not in that negative way. Is literally like you can plot the Bond formula by watching 
You can, but the point I'm trying to make is is just that there have been better films. But if someone says, "Give us a Bond film," Goldfinger is very yeah, the hard. Stantina movie. It is. It, yeah, it is, and this is the first line of his obituary. Pulp Fiction director, you know, Quentin Tarantino passed away. Whenever that comes, hopefully decades from now, um, he's still got a couple films left in him. So we can't say that for certain. It isn't my favourite. It isn't my favourite. Yeah, I hope it end up bumming him for, off by accident. For a two-hour, oh please, God no. Um, no, for a two hours, you know, when it's Brucey and he's eighty nine, I can live with that. Do not get former protective cordon around Quentin Tarantino. Do you expect us to talk? I've just mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this this is for a two hour thirty five minute film. It's it's kind of slight, like Chris said, and there are films in his canon I prefer. I think if I were if we were doing a rankings episode like we did with Bond, and we won't because there's only nine, although we may run through them at the end. Um, it goes higher than I want to rank it, because it's so important to his to his filmography. It's so important to cinema around it. It had a real effect, largely by being copied, frankly. But it had an effect on, on cinema. It had a real shot in the arm for independent film. Not only not by itself, there was stuff like Clerks and Slacker and stuff like that as well in the, in the two or three years around here. Um, I don't love it like I want to love it, but from moment to moment, just being around these characters, doing what they do is kind of joyous. I find this with Jackie Brown next week. First 45 minutes of Jackie Brown, not an awful lot happens. You're kind of just hanging out with the characters, and Tarantino does that better than virtually any any other director. I acknowledge its importance. I acknowledge almost supernaturally good casting and score and, and soundtrack choices as well for this film clearly a major major talent had arrived it had uh, it's blown up in scope and ambition from last week even though i'm very fond of reservoir dogs um this is one of the most important films if not the most important film of the 1990s doesn't make it the best but when you know that time capsule we often talk about for decades a time capsule for the 1990s would have pulp fiction in it well, definitely, certainly in terms of technological and, and, and characters. But I don't know enough about it, let's be honest. We all need to be... Facted! Yes. <laughs> With some fun, hopefully. <laughs> fun facts. My grandpa took these facts. fun facts and showed up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> these fa- these so, facts... I didn't know Christopher Walker was on this, on this show. <laughs> Yeah, he's not, is he? No, he's not. <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously, we threw our best impressionist at it. <laughs> we just have the voice of an angel, you know. We need to get, oh, who's that guy? Oh, get somebody like Jim Carrey or somebody to come on some tunes. <laughs> oh, yeah, because that'll go down well, Dave, won't it? Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm such a fan of your work and anti vaxxing stance, you <laughs> fucking bell end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wasn't, that Maury, wasn't that Maury's ex wife, though, or. Well, maybe I'm not that He's still it, but... tweeting about it now, though. Is he? Oh, oh, you don't like him, but you follow him on Twitter. No, I think someone reposted that. That oh. was tweeted by someone who was pointing out what a wanker he is. Good. Yeah, I've got five fun facts. Well, facts that you may or may not find fun. No, it's branded as fun facts. Make them fun, Becca. Find <laughs> the joy. Find the fun. <laughs> I'm flying off the seat of my pants. What the fun? Go on. <laughs> Well, it's not so fun. My thing is quite interesting. Um, so Vince Vega's 1964 Cheval Malibu actually belonged to Quentin Tarantino and was suddenly stolen during production. So that's a fact, but it's not Did fun. Did anyone check John Travolta's house? 
No. <laughs> All right, fair We're enough. Borrowing it. Well, it's fun for us, but I'm sure it wasn't fun for Quinton. No. no. Don just Ooh. whipping off yeah. for a massage. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect number two. Um, the F word is said around 265 times in the film. Maybe more, maybe less. But yeah, that's a lot of F bombs, y'all. Yeah, been been far beaten by many other films. I think that's less than Goodfellas, and I think it's probably less than side part of the movie. Well, definitely. Also, considering Tarantino's films are kind of famously quite sweary, that's quite low on the F bomb scale. It, it's uh, oh, is this the the F bomb thing? Yeah. All oh, right. I don't think of it as a sweary film, but I think that's just because I don't really notice. I think I'm quite no. into that stuff. I mean, like I know um, Spike Lee had a thing about the N word, doesn't he? About the, you know, he chastised um, Quentin about. Yeah, but he yeah. did. I, I may have this wrong, but I'm sure he changed his mind. I'm sure a little later in his career, he retracted that. Yeah, and actually said no. Actually, in context as well. Uh, bear, bear, yeah, you, if you know a bit about Quentin Tarantino's background as well, it suddenly becomes a bit more forgivable. Do I mm-hmm. wish it wasn't there? I do actually, but at the same time, I know enough of the context to understand why it is and not have a major problem with it. Sure. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guess it's sort of like you're dealing with the characters who are saying it rather than like the voice of the uh, of the, the filmmaker. Yeah, it's, it's everything in context. Yeah. yeah. Fun fact number three. Obviously, near the end, Joel says that he wants to retire and become a drifter. Obviously, in Kill Bill. One of the, he'd be good in the drifters. I haven't heard him sing. <laughs> I, I really like really Saturday Night the at the movies, and I reckon he could sing that quite well. I've seen Kill Bill, who pops up as a piano playing drifter. Yeah, I heard he was in that film, and I was so disappointed. Like, when I found out that he wasn't a drifter. Like, well, no, I just thought, oh, Samuel L. Jackson's in Kill Bill too. Brilliant. Like, oh, that's oh. it. Yeah, but so, can you miss it? Yes, but it's definitely not actually him, though, is it? Because it's a film inside the, the movie. Yeah, it's, a film, it's like a film inside the film. It's, it's, the, it's the movie movie universe. Yeah, yes. movie movie. This is all getting very complicated. Um, fun fact number four, in 2007, the American Film Institute ranked this film, Pulp Fiction, the 97th greatest film of all time. And in 2008, Empire Magazine voted this film number nine in their list of the greatest films of all time. I think the AFI were closer to right. I think nine is a massive overestimation of its uh, qualities. Yeah, I think I seem to remember they, they voted um, they once they had the Empire do these polls all the time. Um, I seem to remember one time they did, um, what did they rank? It was something other than Lord of the Rings. Um, which perennially pops up in the, in the top ten. Yeah, it, um, it was like Lord of the Rings. It's usually uh, Godfather or Empire Strikes Back. That was or, it, yeah. Or and then some, 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 something different. Shawshank. Made the Shaw, Shawshank's the, been a popular yeah. one. And then right? the next year, they were like, that's fine. Well, Shawshank's number one in the IMDb list. Mm, definitely, rightly so. I think there's a podcast called, called The 250, I think. that. Um, which, funnily enough, was... Uh, Came up, the, was... the Tony might have something to do with, and they're working their way through the t- top two fifty. Well, yeah, funny on IMDb dot com. It was what was up for the Oscar as well, wasn't it? In nineteen uh, five. This is the ninety four films for the yeah the ninety four Oscars delivered in ninety five. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, Shake Redemption was was a big flop. This one best. This one uh, I don't know. That's if like a proper cult it. film, isn't it? Because it was a flop upon release, but it hasn't gained like a massive cult following. I think its name was a problem. How do you sell something called the Shawshank Redemption? Yeah, it's quite a long name. It's basically it was things. It's not like it wasn't like a big name thing. It wasn't like it, it was a a short story in a amongst a Stephen King novel. So it wasn't it was really one of his Batman books. Yeah, so it wasn't really much exactly much to sell on. Other than the fact that well, this has got Morgan Freeman in it, and it's 
it's meant to be good, which I'm sure people went and seen it and thought it was great, but uh, at the time it wasn't. It wasn't like a yeah. So um, yeah, it's just one of those films that kind of grew because obviously yeah, through time when people watched it, word of mouth spread because it's like oh this this is good, this is good. And it's ooh. Just obviously yeah. Ooh. People, ooh. Have, word of mouth is very camp in our world. world. <laughs> what do you think of that? Ooh. ooh. <laughs> Trying to do all your Camp Williams impressions. Anyway, I've got a fifth and final fun fact. Um, Christopher Walken's scenes, well, his cameo scene, was shot on the very last day of filming. Um, and whilst he's telling you about the watch... The watch? <laughs> the watch. watch. Look at this watch up me ass. <laughs> <laughs> whilst he's telling you about the watch that he's just possessed, um, he actually makes a pause in between his dialogue. Um and he actually forgets his lines, but luckily he managed to pull it back just in time and makes it look convincing. And they kept it in the take. It's, it's well, that's probably what Chris Walken does. It's like... he pauses anyway, so <laughs> you, you can tell any different when he gets no, that. that's just how he sounds. That that's always a mark of a good actor. That and spitting. <laughs> spitting. <laughs> yeah, there are some brilliant porn actors out there on that basis. Uh, I think Becca. I think Dave failed to reference the the second Friends reference. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> what? Okay. Oh, we got the mark of a good actor is pronunciation. <laughs> I've just yeah, I've just picked up the reference now. It's when Gary Oldman and him are shooting yeah. at World War One. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. And, he, he, the, and then, the, yeah, he's the, told the, he can't be the, the pocket in your says, back. Plans, you put plans. That's my five fun facts, y'all. Instead of Fox Force Five. Well, I had fun. With that, Fox, Foxy, Foxy that, that, that's probably the longest five fun facts we've had for a while. Well, yeah, because we're recording. We've got we've reached this point in the show slightly earlier than usual. Normally, by the time we get to fun facts, Becca is fucking exhausted and just goes. Oh, I've had another one. Oh, I've had another two. <laughs> she's that's actually only half ten, and it's like oh, she's actually quite alert now. That's why. <laughs> She she a shot heroin. That's why. Uh, no kidding. <laughs> uh, I've actually kind of had half a day off, so <laughs> that makes all the difference. Yeah, that that would do it. Yeah, I, yeah. I know. I know what that's like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Normally he's got to work all day, <laughs> handing tissues from a distance, <laughs> <laughs> lurking from behind a curtain. There, there, there we go. Strangely enough, Chris and Chris isn't any in any in any of those sort of motivationals are <laughs> wonderful NHS videos. Oh dear. Well, as long as you don't come down with that stomach. No, what's it called? Um, Australian flu. You'll be okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> Good advice for us all there. Yeah. Don't get sick, people. Right. No. And that's from a nurse. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't it was with Becca. <laughs> yeah, but you agreed. Oh, okay. which gave it, which gave it that, that stamp of all. Yes. Yeah, you, you kind of got more like the more professional waiting here. So yeah, but I think so. I'm not even qualified. <laughs> no, but you will be. <laughs> okay, yeah. it's from an incompetent nurse. Oh, wanna be? Yeah. <laughs> and in trading. Oh, okay. So, uh, so. Uh, what anyway, we do? Yes, that's that's the show. Um, where can we all be found on the social media, Chris? Where can we find you? You can find me at Cinematronics uh, on on the Twitter box. 
You can also uh, find this podcast at, uh, well, we assuming you already have, because how else would you be listening? But uh, you can check out other shows. It is. Oh, yeah. Uh, at uk. Dave, where can we find you? You can find me at the Pasty Kid nineteen seventy six on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at expect us to talk. You could drop us an email if you would like to, providing you're not a Nigerian king or to sell us all your money. Um, expect us to talk at gmail.com. We're on Facebook.com slash expect us to talk. We're also on YouTube. If you just type in do you expect us to talk in the search bar and you shall find us. Um, and also we're on iTunes and Stitcher. The same quality show, but with a still image for two hours. I don't, do you think we'll ever do? I certainly don't want to. Um, but do you think sometime that's answered the we, question? We might do the uh, yeah. That's answered it. No, um, I could just have a I don't know, wear some kind of mask or something. Would we do like a, a <laughs> well, show where we show our like We're robbing a bank or something. <laughs> <laughs> Get out. No, we we I intend to do unless you want to pay us absurd money to go and tour this show, which is where real money is. Um, we can no. do like how did this get made? Yeah, exactly. I would do I would do live shows of this, but I've no intention of like doing them in video. No, no, me neither, to be honest. So, so yeah, but where would we do live shows in, in people's you want to rooms? Want to hire a theatre for us <laughs> that no one's going to visit? Write to us and we can do like tower halls or I don't know, live rooms. Like, people's <laughs> living rooms, basically, at like oh, rooms, our yeah. level. Like. We'll, we'll, we'll just crash council meetings. <laughs> Or at school halls, maybe? No. Oh, people's, yeah, people's living rooms. They're going to be popular with school teachers, definitely. Well, no, you know, start for cash, trying to raise some funds. If you're a school teacher, please contact us at Do You Expect Us to Yeah, I mean, well, why, why, not, why not throw us a question? Maybe just, like, ask us, you know, whatever you want, providing it's not rude. Or maybe yeah, it's rude. Understand. Or if it is rude, don't ask Becca because she, she gets flustered with that sort of thing. <laughs> I, I tend to answer everything. <laughs> Having said that, there's shit it loads on the to There's shitloads at the moment I don't want to talk about, so be careful. Only because it's about films that we've got coming up in the pipeline, so top secret. It's fair to say most listeners don't know quite how long my pipeline is. <laughs> Very long pipeline. Because <laughs> I, I, I've had a look at it this evening and it's fucking massive. Well, we've got Marvel coming up, that's the ages. Yeah, Marvel will take about six months. That's like the rest of this year, fucking hell. Well, I hope we'll get to Planet of the Apes before the end of the year, because it's 50 years old this year, but we'll try and mm, that'd be exciting. as well this year as well. But, but yeah, I mean, th- we have an idea a long way ahead, but we, we obviously we know what the next two for the The other thing with Marvel is, I can't say for certain whether we'll break it up or not, because I got I got bored during Star Trek. So there's a part of me that thinks I don't want to do 17 films in a row. No, that was a really, really long, long series. We didn't we didn't struggle with Bond. Marvel's light and varied anyway, and we may just find like we're okay with it. So I still can't tell you if Marvel's going to be in like three bits broken up by two other series, The Godfather and Spider Man, probably, or whether we're going to attack it in one hit. I really don't know yet. Maybe we just leave you fans on the tender hook with that. Maybe we just go. <laughs> Dot, to dot, be dot. honest, it's going to be all the same stuff, whatever the film is. Yeah, it's going to be us talking shit for two it's hours. The same old shit, whatever the film is, don't matter. Same old shit, different movie. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, Talking of a different movie. Do you expect to talk or return with our review of Jackie Brown? <laughs>